Blog Talk Radio. so excited to have Mark Scrimshire on, and Mark is the Entrepreneur in Residence at CMS. Is That's that right. Yep. Yep. So give me a little background on yourself, and then tell us a little bit of what you're doing as the Entrepreneur in Residence. Okay. Well, I, I have many hats, and I know we, we were just talking about our, our joint love of skiing. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, that's one of the hats I wear in the winter, but... Uh, I've been involved in in IT for longer than you should put on your resume, and I, I say I get away with that because my parents ran a data prep company in the UK. But I, I came out to the US about 20 years ago, um, and I, I was actually brought out for a healthcare startup, but then went off into telecoms, uh, satellite. Uh, uh, I worked for Iridium, and then got back into healthcare. I've worked for the payers. I've worked for 3M Health Information Systems, building out their uh, cloud platforms for their health products. Uh, I've done a lot of stuff. I founded Health Camp back in like 2008, which was an unconference to really promote patient engagement and break down the silos in healthcare. And that got me involved in a lot of things, including uh, the very early phase stage of Blue Button. And uh-huh. so I've been a very big advocate of Blue Button. And even my jacket has a Blue Button on it, uh, my, uh, my walking gallery jacket. And uh, uh, basically, uh, just over a year ago, uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, I got a, a, a tweet from a, a friend saying, you really ought to apply for this. And it was uh, the entrepreneur in residence at CMS as part of uh, the HHS uh, Idea Lab. And, uh, you know, I applied for it, even though I was, I was busy with my uh, my own startup with Medgear, where we built a consumer connected health uh, record. But it's so important that we free up the data for patients. Right. So it's like you, you can't turn down the U.S. government. It's really hard. And so, um, even though, you know, Niall Brennan is the chief data officer at, uh, at CMS and I'm working, you know, hand in hand with him and, it, and he's, he really tried to persuade me not to do this. He said, are you really, you know, this stupid? And yes, I am. And uh, so I've, I've been there for just over a year building a prototype of basically a uh, next generation data API for Blue Button. So we're, we're basically building out a platform for 38 million uh, Medicare beneficiaries. So, for those who don't know what Blue Button is, maybe some of our listeners, give a little background on that. Well, Blue Button was is came about in about 2010, and uh, the VA, the DoD, and, and CMS have have this thing where you you log in as into the portal, so in like mymedicare.gov, right, and you follow the Blue Button. It looks just like this, yeah, and uh, you can choose to download your health data and take it with you. So, with CMS, that's mainly your claims information, right? Right, but you can pull down something like, you know, three years worth of claims in this really ugly text file. Or you, or you can have a pretty PDF version. What I find is interesting is that even today... And then the thinking sort of was you download this and then you can give it to another provider to, in essence, upload it and yeah. then make use of it, right? Yeah, that, that was that's the, the idea. And people do do that. We have, you know, something like 30,000 downloads a month of this. Wow. We've had over 1.3 million beneficiaries do this over the last five years. And it's fascinating because we just were in a discussion this morning with Dr. Kaveh Safavi talking <clears throat> about how consumers want their entire record and doctors 
17% of them are now saying we think they ought to have access to their entire yeah, record. Yeah. So you're building this thing and, and, and gives exactly, them that stuff. And that's exactly right. And uh, But, you know, CMS will mainly have just this claims data. But the, what we're doing is we set out to build a, a developer-friendly, standards-based API. Now, at the same time, uh, HL7 did sort of what I call a reset and came out with the Fast Health Interoperability Resource Framework. Right. It just uh, which is a, which, Yeah, which is a developer-friendly, standards-based API. So, well, we could go and build our own, right. but you know how bad we are at doing that. <laughs> I, sorry, I, I, I am not allowed to speak to CMS. So This is uh, all on your own personal... It's all on my... Yeah, yeah. I have a get-out-of-jail-free card. <laughs> and so, you know, we've not been great at building APIs. So why not use something that the industry is moving towards? Because there's then going to be tools and everything to use that API. Right. So what we're doing is basically putting a layer on top of a standard fire resource to allow a beneficiary to just pull their data. Now, my you know, fervent hope is that because we're building this and it'll be open source, that other organizations could say, I'll take that and put right. it on my and own fire it. service. And they could probably, you know, so for example, I'd love the VA to go and expose all the clinical data as fire resources and put a blue button layer on, front, on top of it. And that way we really free up the data right. for beneficiaries and patients everywhere. So, you know, that's really what we're trying to build now. There's a lot of things to do internally to get there. Yeah, so sort of you've been there a year now. Sort of where is it in that process? Well, uh, we one of the things in government, it's always good if you can come up with money. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that, that was easy at the government level. <laughs> it, it, it can be a little challenging, but we... We basically put in a proposal to the uh, uh, Patient-Centered Outcome Research Trust Fund at HHS, and we got a, a, a fair few million dollars to go and build out this back-end resource. Right. So we're in, currently in the process of, of working out our plans to connect a fire resource to the chronic condition warehouse, which is used by all the researchers that, uh, that work with uh, CMS. Uh-huh. So we're going to basically be able to pull in fee-for-service uh, beneficiaries, there's something like 38 million of them, uh-huh. we'll have basically their claims data, and then we'll expose the Blue Button API, basically connected through mymedicare.gov, uh, so that beneficiaries will be able to come in and connect other applications to that data. So we're, what we're trying to do is encourage people to start developing against that. So. We're putting together a fire codathon on April 1st and 2nd, and we've got Susanna Fox and Nar Brennan opening that event. Fantastic. It's going to be in the, the Great Hall of uh, Health and Human Services in Washington, D.C., and we're, we're hoping developers are going to come along and do something cool with a prototype API we're putting together. So if developers want to come to that, where yeah. can they go to find the information for that? They could go to healthca.mp slash onfire, and they can go and sign up. It's, it's like 60 bucks to sign up for the two-day event. But if you, if you win, if you, you develop something cool against our prototype API, uh, the winners are going to get to present what they did at the Health Data Palooza in May in front of, you know, a, a few thousand people. Oh, yeah, fantastic which is, conference. Is be... That's great. That's a great idea. Yeah, so... And it's so nice to see, actually, that this data is going to be... Someone can say to themselves, I want to grab it because I want it used by this so it will help yeah. me do something else. Exactly, and, and so fantastic. we're looking, uh, you know, the Precision Medicine Initiative really wants us to release this data because now beneficiaries could go and donate their data. Data to Precision Medicine. So uh, it, it offers so many opportunities. It's just incredible. Absolutely. Well, that's fantastic. I know one of your other areas of interest is really the whole consumer. Yeah, yeah. Consumers in healthcare. 
So maybe touch on that a little bit, and then we'll yeah. So uh, I uh, co-founded with Panya Cheng Media. So we built a consumer uh, health record uh, application where you can pull in your data. You can then choose what you want to share, who you want to share it with, and how long you want to share it with. And we, we're integrating chat with that and the, the idea of being able to create private sections of your timeline. And so it, it really is what drove me to take this opportunity with the, the uh, EIR program is because we need data. And it's going to benefit everybody in the industry if we start to free up the, the data for patients. Well, that's great. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Mark. We really appreciate here at HIM16, Health and Rage Media. Thanks Pleasure. a lot, Fred. Thank you. Okay. Thank cool. you so much for joining us. It was great. No problem. It was fun. Have a great one. That was a great discussion. Yeah. Really yeah. enjoyed it. And we're sitting here at HIM 16. We'll be waiting for our next guest coming up. Um, been a thoroughly great conference so far. I had a really good time this morning going around to various booths, etc. And uh, really looking at some of the newer companies that are in the space who are doing some of the uh, uh, smaller projects or uh, just launch types of things to see what kind of new innovations were coming around. Um, and perhaps we'll get a chance to get into that, although it looks like we've got a very full schedule today before we wrap up at 1 p.m. As you can tell, there's a lot of activity here going by the booth, which is always great, and I haven't had a chance to walk around a bunch. Go ahead and have a seat there. Sure. So what I'll do mm -hmm. is, um, <clears throat> this is just a free-form discussion. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the, the show is about innovation. Um, it's called Health um, Innovation Media. Um, okay. <laughs> I guess we're going to go ahead and start. Thanks, Greg. So um, I'm Dr. Phil Marshall, co-host of the um, Health Innovation uh, Media Program, broadcasting day three. Uh, from HIMSS 2016 in Las Vegas, um, and and I'm <laughs> very happy that just in, in an impromptu way was able to um, have a uh, friend and colleague, uh, Mario Anglada from Univision, uh, join me. And uh, and so Univision, people certainly wouldn't normally or naturally think of Univision as a healthcare brand um, or in any way interested in healthcare innovation. Um, but I've learned, at least, that that's absolutely not true. Um, you have some fantastic and leading thinking for how um, the uh, Spanish-speaking audience that you have um, can more efficiently and effectively utilize healthcare technology um, to be able to um, receive services in a more cost-effective way. So, Mario, maybe you could just give us a little bit of background first on you um, and then some of the things that Univision is thinking about when it comes to healthcare. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, um, my background comes from various uh, engagements in healthcare companies prior to Univision. So I worked for a pharmaceutical company, Procter & Gamble Pharmaceuticals. From there I moved to Johnson & Johnson where I managed their over-the-counter medication division. Uh, moving through medical devices, right before my Univision days, uh, I was at Nestle where I managed their medical nutrition business for the U.S. And I was brought to Univision uh, specifically to help Univision further the relationship that Univision ha has with our consumers. As a little bit of a background, Univision eh, 
has for the last 50 years been the leading media company in the U.S., focused on Hispanics. Um, for context, Univision is, uh, currently has 50 TV stations, 69 radio stations across the U.S. that serve to entertain, inform, and empower our audience. And the next natural step in that vehicle was the creation of an enterprise division, hmm. uh, which is the one that I'm part of. Our enterprise division, what we do is that we focus on extending the Univision brand into areas where our consumers can bring additional value from our leveraging our expertise to build them products and services. So the first program that we developed was about three years ago. It's called Univision Pharmacia, mm -hmm. which means Univision Pharmacy in Spanish. And it's a free medication discount program that we co-developed with our partners at Envision Rx. This program, we launched it three years ago and grew it from zero members to 2.2 million members today. And we're happy to have been able to save our aggregate consumer base $50 million within those three-year periods. Fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. In addition to medication costs being a challenge for your audience, mm -hmm. um, what are some of the other challenges that they have with regard to either access to services or being able to understand, you know, what it is that, uh, you know, is being prescribed to them or offered to them? Um, what are some of those challenges that you hope to help overcome? The, the, our, our audience base is 65.7 million strong in the U.S., so um, we run the gamut of needs. We have consumers that are recent immigrants to the U.S. who don't have a robust understanding of the healthcare system in the U.S. We have consumers that have lived uh, for various generations in the U.S. So what we try to do is we try to create products uh, that first and foremost serve the needs of those that have challenges such as access to care, um, access to medications, and we use our vehicles to educate those consumers and to bring them into a communication process that then gives them value as a function of services, um, information, or um, offers from selected partners. So we always strive to understand the needs of our consumers specifically in healthcare. And from there, we look at a roadmap that allows us to develop engagement models, taking into consideration unique traits that Hispanics have. Language is one of them. Uh, extended family nuclear groups is another. Um, a power distance relationship with healthcare professional is another important one. And we use all those insights to triangulate back to creating a product or a service that either enhances what is currently there or basically starts from scratch and solves a key pain point for a subpopulation of our audience. And I know from what you've just said and from what I know from what you've told me previously that this isn't just about media. This isn't just about translating, you know, patient education material. Correct. This is a much bigger vision that you have to actually provide a complementary, if not even superior, model of reaching those individuals and supporting them in the healthcare uh, process and the healthcare system. It'd be great to hear from you some of that. Um, some of those ideas mm -hmm. that you have, whether it's couched as some of those challenges that you hope to overcome or some of those technologies that you feel um, are uh, potentially most appropriate under the brand sure. that, you've, that you've grown. Uh, sure. Um, where we're at right now is we're, we're in the midst of the launch of our first 
our, our first product that is going to be revolutionary because of our chosen path. So we launched our first telehealth product. Telehealth, all right. Uh, and it's uh, up and running in six states, and we're continuing to expand throughout the year. This particular product, we developed it with a, a, a different understanding of what we wanted telehealth to be. So the traditional model that we understood was telehealth as an add-on to an insurance coverage mainly provided by employers um, and the consumer would engage with the doctor in the traditional copay model. We understood that we wanted to make uh, our telehealth offering something a bit more available than only for those that have insurance coverage. So we took a, a model that basically puts our telehealth offering as a subscription direct to consumer uh, engagement. So our product offers consumers five virtual visits uh, with qualified, board certified Spanish speaking doctors across the US. In addition to those five visits, the consumer has unlimited email Q&A with a variety of healthcare professionals that include doctors, pharmacists, psychologists, dentists, and so forth. And is this Q&A um, telehealth mediated? Is it chat mediated? It uh, is. It's email based. And oh, it's email based. It's okay. email based. Um, so that's a nice complement to our in-person, in virtually mediated uh, telehealth offering. Real time versus real time. Right. Correct. Okay. Uh, and the, the third component of our offer is a, a wellness portal. We want not only to provide care to those that need it through this engagement with a physician at a distance, we wanted also to do this in a cap, and capture that in an education process that not only provides access to care with board-certified doctors that can speak the language for our consumer base, not only with those healthcare professionals that can answer questions at any time of the day or night uh, for a host of different questions that our consumer might have. But we also wanted to have an education portal and our a wellness center basically allows consumers to learn more about a variety of health topics. It could be something as specific as diabetes mm-hmm. or it could be something as general as better eating habits. Sure. So um, all these three products are bundled into one offering that we make available to our consumers on a monthly subscription. It's fascinating. You know, I was with WebMD for 11 years, mm-hmm. and so the leading um, English-speaking uh, brand in the U.S. for healthcare. Um, a lot of different efforts to try to create more of a clinical, deep, you know, relationship uh, with um, with individuals in the community. But even with that level of branding and that brand recognition, it was very challenging. Um, and so... What are some of the unique aspects of the Univision brand that allow you to now get into that deeper um, personal mm-hmm. relationship with the individual? I think it comes from from the the engagement that Univision has had for the past fifty years. Um, when you are a non-Spanish speaker in the U.S., you have access to uh, a variety of different engagement models for entertainment uh, and for information. For the Hispanic uh, consumer and the Spanish-dominant Hispanic, that is a, a narrower offer. Luckily for Univision, we've established a relationship that is going on 50 years, and that has allowed us to serve their needs from an entertainment, from an empowerment, and from an informational standpoint. So that uh, gives us a deep understanding of what our consumers' needs are, 
And we are now taking steps to take that relationship that they've entrusted to us on the media side and help them solve some of their healthcare pain points. We don't build anything internally. We find best-in-class partners that are able to understand the needs that are brought to them through our set of experts. And we, with those partners, develop programs from the ground up that address each and every need that we think our consumer has. And the adoption for these products has been successful to date. That's fantastic. Obviously, the pharmacy program, a huge success, telehealth, a major um, play on, on uh, for your audience um, sounds fascinating. Um, there is one technology I understand um, that you didn't go out and, and uh, do a search for best of breed vendor. That is the electronic health record system that your telehealth providers um, actually utilize. My understanding is you actually rolled your own uh, well, when it came to that. And, and so that for this audience at HIMSS 16 with the booths upstairs that are larger than a city block, uh, that might actually be fascinating. I'd love to hear more about that. So just for clarity, we aren't developing our own. What we did was we found a partner that was willing and able to convert their system okay. to meet specific needs of the Spanish-speaking audience. Got it. So okay. what it allows us to do is to take best-in-class partners that are open to modifying their operating model. And in essence, once we finish with what we are jointly developing, it'll be a from-the-ground developed product. But it is not Univision's technology that is doing that. But it is customized it's heavily. It's customized with the understanding of the nuances that our audience needs that are not readily built into many of the off-the-shelf offerings that we evaluated. Got it. Well, thank you. So um, one last question for you, and then we'll wrap up. Um, we're here at a show that is all about the future, healthcare technology, changing healthcare to be digitally enabled. Um, we know that with your audience, they are very much digitally enabled. Mm -hmm. And that actually might come to a um, surprise to a lot of people. You know, what's the mobile phone adoption rate? Um, in fact, you even have some efforts underway, as I understand, that uh, that help support their mobile phone adoption. Um, and so and so you're already, with your audience, mm -hmm. living that digital future. Um, what do you say to somebody who is naive and doesn't really know your audience nearly as well as you do um, when it comes to how digitally ready they are? So uh, the Hispanic is an early adopter of technology, and that is uh, mostly starts with the necessity to communicate back to and maintain the relationships with those countries of origin, right? Um, one of the things that you can see is that the smartphone tablet adoption of a Hispanic is higher than the non-Hispanic general population. And that's Which, just on its own might come to, as a surprise to many people, but it's absolutely, I know, to be true. It is, it is. Uh, but it, it, it's a a technology adoption based on a necessity, right? So if my grandmother is still back in Puerto Rico or in Mexico, and I am in the U.S., my ability to communicate with her through a FaceTime interaction mm -hmm. is there. Mm. So Hispanics are always looking for the opportunity to use technology to facilitate their interactions with one another. And the example of a FaceTime interaction between grandma and a grandson at a distance is something that Hispanics do on a daily basis. With that, you look at natural 
adoption of early technology as one of the key points for Hispanics. And uh, what we're doing is we're taking that understanding and marrying it with the needs of the Hispanic outside of the technology realm. Um, like you mentioned, Univision has a partnership to develop Univision Mobile, which is the first Hispanic-focused uh, cell phone offering in the U.S. That's very exciting. And uh, we, we took that insight of engagement with that consumer from a digital perspective, built it into a product that is best in class for their needs. And what I'm trying to do is the same thing in healthcare. Well, it's an exciting market. It's an exciting time. You've got a very exciting and very big vision uh, for how Univision can, can help the lives of so many, uh, so many people. Thank you very much for joining us here on the program today. Uh, enjoy the show, um, and uh, we'll look forward to staying in touch to hear how it all plays out. Thank you for the opportunity to talk to your audience, and um, we're very interested in uh, seeing what's available in the show and how we can incorporate some of these best practices into our current offerings. Well, there's a lot to look at. Enjoy. Thank you. All right. Guys, thank you very much for fitting that in. Thank you, Mario, for doing that. And this is Fred Goldstein. I'm back in the booth here at HIM 16. We're waiting for our next guest, who will be joining us in just a second. Our guest will be Kingsley Smith from EQ Health Solutions, and he'll be uh, talking a little about his company. So very much looking forward to that opportunity with uh, Kingsley Smith, and we'll get this interview going. Um, I just, it's amazing who you meet here. I just happen to be sitting and down across from the uh, microphone and ran into an individual who's, a, uh, who's doing VC work, has a couple of companies here they've invested in. They spent the last two and a half days really looking at what's out there in the market, what might be worth taking a look at, et cetera. And interesting, they're in the population health space, so that's where they see their investments going. And it was great to kind of introduce myself and talk a little about population health. So uh, Kingsley, come on in. It's great to welcome you to the show. Um, so I've got, I'm joined now by Kingsley Smith from EQ Health Solutions. And uh, Kingsley, if you'll tell us a little bit about your background, your title, and EQ Health Solutions. That would yes. be fantastic. Thank you very much for, for having me. Yeah, and I'm the uh, Director of Business Development for EQ Health Systems. I've been with the company about three and a half years. But uh, before I got into uh, technical sales, I was a systems engineer. Uh, or Citibank in Europe, so I used to design a lot of banking systems. And then I got into uh, hospital systems, uh, primarily uh, billing for hospitals and things like that. And I actually uh, designed the software for the Olympic Games in uh, Los Angeles. Did you in really? 1984, yeah. Wow. The first time the Olympic Games would ever have been automated that way. And it was a big success uh, back in those days. And Quite then, the project. So, but then I. I kind of fell into healthcare, uh, practice management, EMRs, and then health information exchanges, and then now population health management. So that's kind of the evolution, uh, primarily on the ambulatory side, but I've done a lot of acute care things as well. Excellent. And so now you're with EQ Health Systems, and tell me a little about what they do. Well, uh, I, EQ Health uh, Solutions, Solutions. Is a, it was a very attractive uh, opportunity for me and the reason being is they've spent about 29 years doing uh, disease management, care management and care coordination so that is their core competency so over the last few years it's it morphed into the population health 
management title, as you might say. Right. So but, a lot of people talk about population health or having a platform to do population health. Yeah. What does your platform have in it? What sort of components? Well, primarily EQ Health Solutions was a service-based organization. Uh-huh. They have about 400 nurses that were doing what we call high-touch uh, care management, face-to-face management for Medicaid in about seven states. So they had government statewide contracts to do high-touch management for care management with the idea of uh, averting high cost in the long term. So if you do a, a, a good job at a high-touch, face-to-face uh, disease care coordination, mm-hmm. uh, it averts high cost by taking better proactive care Absolutely. with the patient. Absolutely. And so that, is, area, the, that is the core competency. Right. Uh, but at the same time, though, they develop technology to help themselves facilitate that. So our phrase is sort of high-touch, high-tech. Right. high tech high touch so it's a it's a merger of services and high tech to affect uh, quality outcomes for patients and so you you mentioned Medicaid in seven states and you have these dispersed nurses out in the community doing Correct. face-to-face work yes. of which I I did that starting in 1999 as well so I understand okay. that business well yes. um, and then you have this platform that links them all together Correct. and uh, which states are you working in uh, well, we're growing every month. We're adding new states. Uh, uh-huh. We just actually won the state of uh, Colorado and the state of Vermont uh-huh. for, for those uh, types of Medicaid services. But we've also been able to take that content and knowledge into the commercial side. Right, and you're doing some commercial work yeah. as well then. So well, we've been doing a utilization review and utilization management for the state of Illinois since 2002. We do it for the state of Florida for a specific carve-out. Um, uh, for, the, for the state of Florida, um, but now we are approaching more commercial uh, MSOs, uh, IDNs, mm-hmm. uh, payers, and uh, so you provide ACOs. the full package. It's your system yeah. leveraging the staff you have out in the community to do a disease management or a population health management program for a payer. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, but we've also disassociated the services, meaning that we can sell it as a standalone platform. So you can sell the platform and yeah. people can buy that and then yeah. do their own. Care management on top of that. Exactly. Now, which disease conditions do you have integrated into no, the top, system? The top 20, uh-huh. you know, for sure. That I mean, all of the usual things. But it's interesting in terms of having all that rich content over 20 some years, as it relates to the combination or the approach to, you know, congestive heart failure and diabetes. How right. do you, where do you start with that when you've got multiple uh, comorbidities? Right. Kind of How are you determining the primary or the, the most at-risk condition exactly. and then working down from that? But in essence, you're managing the whole person. Yes. So if they've got uh, CHF and diabetes and perhaps even asthma or hypertension or something, yes. you're managing the full spectrum of it's, that. But again, you know, it, uh, there's a lot of what you might call psychosocial and behavioral Absolutely. aspects to this because everything we do is really about quality outcomes, we're driven by that, but how can we affect behavioral change at the patient level uh, because it's a lifestyle issue probably that got them sick in the first place. Oh, absolutely. Place. So in the years that I did Medicaid in about 11 states, yeah. very similar, yeah. and um, you know, we always used to say if you're working with a Medicaid beneficiary, and it really it applies to anybody, but we learned it there first, you really have to focus on their life issues. Because the reason they don't focus on their health is their life gets in the way. 
So you have to look at all of those things like yes. where are they living? Do they have access to transportation? Yes. How do they get their food? Can they get the food they need to eat if they're diabetic and all of those things? It's sort of outside the purview of the healthcare system. It's true. And that's a, one of the benefits of having the high-touch model that we Correct. have is we get to see the family dynamic. We get to see if what the rest of the family are doing in relation to the patient because maybe they're not even going and getting their medications and Absolutely. things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And you've got to help arrange for those services. Uh, and, and coordinate that yes. to then be able to say, okay, now we've got the transportation figured out. They're getting their medication, exactly. and now let's go work on the next issue. Yes, right. because you know, a patient sometimes will tell you what they think you want to hear. So the way that we do our health risk assessments, we might ask the same question several different ways to see if the answers are consistent. But the way that we do it is is more conversational. It's right. not like, do you smoke? Do you do this? Do you do that? It's more of a conversation where you're trying to elicit some truth uh, as to what's really going on. And is the only interaction, say, in the Medicaid space with that care coordinator or that nurse, or do the individuals have access to anything through the platform itself? Well, we, we have our own uh, interoperability uh, health information exchange yes. to draw data because, Correct. in essence, one of the things we talk about as a, as a, a solution is, is big data, meaning if you have the data, uh, and, and you can analyze predictively on the front end and from a business point of view on the business intelligence side and we're working in a community environment meaning all our nurses are local to the community so they understand the culture and the style when you bring all those things together uh, it gives you everything in a we have a cloud-based solution so everything's at their fingertips in essence but we also work in a team approach because if you have a global perspective of a patient, you could see what the patient's behavior is in terms of how they interact with the providers in the community, because maybe they're wandering around with no guidance right. and no direction. So when you unify everything, the approach of our care managers, our care nurse coordinators, is they can see the patterns and the provider relationships, and then they can create guidance and a focus, and maybe focus uh, a patient more specifically with a, a care plan as opposed to them just, you know, because if they're going all over the place, that's a lot of cost. Absolutely. Too. Now, that brings up an interesting uh, point in terms of how we're migrating away from fee-for-service into a value and outcome space. So what I spend pretty much about 80% of my time is sort of evangelizing a roadmap of, with all of my clients to how to get them to uh, 2018. And right, and you get that value-based payment. Yes. So if people want to get a hold of EQ Health Solutions and take a look at what you've got, where do they find that? Uh, EQ uh, Health Solutions, it's a .org, actually. .org, okay, EQHealthSolutions.org. Yeah, I think it's EQHS.org. EQHS.org. Well, and, thank uh, you so much, Kingsley, for having on the show. It's been a pleasure. And uh, as you, so you may be aware, Meditate is something near and dear to my heart. So it's Very great good. to hear about somebody out there doing some really good work in Medicaid. I really yeah, appreciate it. Our mission is quality. Fantastic. Thank well, you, thanks again so much for coming on Health Innovation Media. Great. Enjoy the rest of the conference. We're now going to be moving on to our next guest here at Health Innovations Media at HIM 16 in the Conversa Health booth, booth number 11334 here at the conference. Nice to see somebody doing some work, as I said earlier, in the Medicaid space. It's a really interesting area. Uh, near and dear to my heart, and I've thoroughly enjoyed the opportunity to do that. I am now joined in the booth 
by the master of health innovation media, its CEO, Greg Master. Yo, Fred, what's happening? It's going well. How about you? What's it been like on the other side of the camera just walking around? <laughs> it's crazy. So day three, as you know, these uh, when you've got a packed schedule and people arrive late or not at all, and we have to swap things out and do this, do that, last minute requests from some of the PR handlers and so forth. Everyone's been really good, but it's been a challenge. So today we were going to have um, some hand-picked guests from uh, our co-locating host here, Conversa Health. Conversa Health, yes. And uh, that, that actually didn't happen, so we're actually going to plan C, which is to tap a few people last minute ad hoc and see what we can pull together. That Univision uh, interview was amazing with, with Phil Marshall today. I mean, it's uh, what's going on there is pretty amazing. So we're having a great time. It's exhausting, but, uh, you know. That's good, I, right? No, I think it's been amazing to watch. It's like, like they say, it's the duck, man. It looks beautiful up on top of the water. Below that water line, it's paddling like crazy. Absolutely. <laughs> the, other, the other interesting thing has been, you know, the interest. I mean, we've had this build the schedule and have to say, sorry, you know, we will have to get you another time. Uh, right. There's been a lot of interesting people, but of course there's been a lot of news too and some neat announcements and obviously a lot of the companies here with some very interesting products. So, uh, one, one thing I'll mention is it uh, looks like we're going to hear from Jay Parkinson, uh, Sherpa Health. Uh, Jay was the face of Hello Health quite some time ago when we were actually at, at Health 2.0 in a prior life. That was Jay's thing. But it uh, looks like we'll get a chance to talk to him. And then we have Matt Holt coming from Health 2.0. And who knows whether he'll have an entourage with him or not or whether it'll just be the Matt Holt show. And, and with and Matt, so you don't really need an entourage because <laughs> yeah. he's going to right. let her rip regardless. Right, yeah, <laughs> right. As he did in his Twitter request to yeah. get on this show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll mention something that's news-worthy uh, uh, and kind of the buzz around here was apparently this Michael Dell quote, fireside chat with the CIO of Ascension oh, Health right. yesterday, kind of blew up uh, on Twitter, particularly when uh, the person who, the C-suite person at the nexus of information technology and the constituents that they serve, made a brash statement about not caring about what patients or members of the health system experience is like uh, inside their facilities. And man, he got just lambasted and Neil Vercel at Med City News wrote up a piece about this is the most stupidest remark that he's heard uh, at this That's conference. That's stepping in it pretty bad. That is stepping in it pretty bad. I tweeted, you know, is this a tone-deaf comment from a CIO of a 501c3 nonprofit slash tax exempt with a return to the community benefit obligation for him to say something like that is like, what? <laughs> you know, exactly. Right. You know, as, uh, as, as maybe, you know, the latest buzzword now is consumer. What does the consumer want? We just had that great talk this morning with Kabe with Bobby talking about this whole um, consumer engagement and how you take the consumer through our world, in essence, and develop programs that meet their needs as they interact with the health system. To have a CEO of a major, or a CIO of a major health system make a comment like that is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, so, so some other buzz here was uh, last night at the Athena Health Party, Jonathan Butch and D-Dog MD, Peanut Butter, uh, did a little rock and rendition, a little rap thing upon, in the theme of let doctors be doctors. Right. So that, that's what Jonathan Bush and Athena Health and his legions of Athenistas are trying to do, which is really empower 
independent practice uh, via network structures, uh, cloud-based infrastructure as the backbone, seamless integration in terms of cross-device and other ecosystems. So they're really out there empowering independent practice. And I say, you know, whoopee to that, because I think the death of independent practice uh, was grossly overestimated, uh, particularly on the front end of this, as the vertical integration at the hospital system level picked up steam under the Affordable Care Act to create accountable care and, and then try to wrap their arms around the long-term post-acute care continuum. Uh, it's simply uh, un unrealistic to think that... Uh, I mean, it, the rap is, oh, well, we've bowed out all these practices. Practices we often buy are docs who are, you know, don't want to work anymore. You right. know? So, so, no, it's different this time around because we have productivity and we have quality measures. Well, that remains to be seen. And then, of course, you have the other issue of acquiring a physician practice and then driving it into an outpatient facility and watching prices go 2x and 3x. Oh, yeah. And, and, and let alone continuing a lot of these provider groups continuing or hospitals continuing to bring these providers in solely to keep the beds full when the rest of the system is saying wait a second we want this move to a more efficient delivery model and uh, you don't tend to hear that in the public side but I was at an American College of Healthcare Executives uh, function over in over December for the holidays where they had a panel of of three leading CEOs or the head of population health at one of the health systems and, two, and the CFO and the CEO of these major hospitals. And the topic was, how do you survive in the move to outpatient care? And the two biggest hospitals, CFO and the population health director said, we're not doing that. We're pushing to more inpatient care. We're doing everything we can to fight that and keep people in our hospital, which just seems so antithetical to what it is we're trying to do in, in, the, in the system and, and create a, a, a much more affordable and effective healthcare system. You know, I'll never forget this. I was asked this question by a physician practice associated with the pre-THR Texas Health Resources System Presbyterian uh, called Genesis Physicians Group and Genesis Independent Pro Genesis Physician Practice Association, the latter of which was the risk-bearing entity. And the parent was the non-risk-bearing entity. So clinical, uh, Genesis Clinical Practice Group did discounted PPO contracting, and GPP, GPAA, as their sister sub, did the risk contracting. And at one of the board meetings, as a consultant, they asked me, so Greg, where do you think in five years we're going to be on this value, but it was really capitation thing? And I said, well, if you talk about capitation and you include per diem pricing, ambulatory case rates, DRGs, you name it, bundles, plus PMPM, percent of premium and, and per member per month yeah. rate. I said, you're probably in the next five years talking about, I, I said, 60 to 75% of payment that gets driven through those channels. And that was a correct prediction until United decided to open the floodgates and remove the gatekeeper model from the HMO system and allow people to go direct to their specialists. Right. And after that, the movie, um, as good as it gets, with Helen Hunt and Jack Nicholson came out. <laughs> right. And she said, my fucking HMO. And, you know, <laughs> that was at that point in time that the, uh, the tie changed. And right. there was huge risk pushback by the health system. They unwound a lot of their PHOs. They unwound their risk relationships. They said, hey, health plan, you carry the risk. 
we got enough on our plate. We're going to grow units. We're going to expand volumes. And that's exactly and that's, what they and did. And that's what they did. And, and that's why we continue to see these costs go up. And now we're coming back to a different way of gatekeeping by saying, we're going to bundle you. We're going to value-based pay you. We're going to PMPM you as a provider. And you figure it out. Right. So yeah. I, w- I was asked yesterday in the Xerox healthcare booth, uh, we did a little uh, interview on uh, right. a couple questions around value-based, where you see this going, obstacles, headwinds, incentives, and so forth. And I said, well, if only the CMS was corporate HQ and they issued a memorandum and all the children fell in line, you could probably <laughs> see that conversion to value-based contracting target that they've laid out there. Oh, right? yeah. So, But who knows? I think that, as we often hear, policy and what happens on the ground are often disconnected by years, if not decades. Right, right. And uh, I think, you know, it, it, we're, the tools, some of the tools are here for value-based payment and to manage it. Obviously, a lot of people are talking about it, how quickly it gets implemented. And as we've seen before, even in uh, when we talked with Jay Lee last year at Memorial Care, they have a fairly substantial 60 to 70%, as I recall, value-based payment or, or risk-based payments, yet they're still rewarding and, and measuring the, the productivity of their providers on a fee-for-service basis and how many units they do of certain things, which was a major disconnect to ultimately changing that behavior. Okay, I had more questions for you, but I think our next guest is here, so I'm going to slip on out, and we'll be back in a couple of seconds. Well, well that here. sounds great. Thank you so much, Greg, for dropping in a little bit. Gary here and there from Greg Masters, the CEO of Health Innovation Media. And he's been pretty much behind the scenes, ensuring that everything here goes smoothly while... Uh, while he's running around like a chicken out there. Hello, how are Hi, you? Doing great, how are you doing? Great, hey Alan, it's great to have you. So tell me, uh, Alan, you're with Halfpenny Technologies, <laughs> and uh, give me a little bit of your background first. Sure, so it's actually a funny story. So Halfpenny is a, a, a population health vendor here at him, friend of a friend, so I got a guest cast from Halfpenny. I'm actually with an organization called Innisfere. Okay, is a, so my apologies. So no, let's do Innisfere first. Wouldn't, you wouldn't have known. Um, so we're a nonprofit technology incubator based out of northern Colorado um, in Denver. Okay. So we work, we're an incubator. We've been around 17 years. Uh, we work with all different types of startup companies, and I happen to manage our health innovation portfolio. So let me ask you this. You're a nonprofit technology innovator. Incubator. Incubator. Excuse yes, me. Incubator. So... How does that work? <laughs> right. right. So, so we were created actually by the city of Fort Collins back in 1999 to do economic development and job growth. Flash forward two decades, we've created, nearly two decades, uh, we've created over 1,500 jobs. So this is a community-based incubator that says we are going to lift our community by identifying companies that can ultimately sprout employ people and grow well fantastic said. We should okay this is job. great no please fill <laughs> me this is awesome go well said so um you know to, to do that to really lift the community you have to pick great companies and you right. have to make sure there's an ecosystem for those companies to thrive so in my role is on the health innovations portfolio that's medical device and diagnostics and digital health and so it turns out the world of healthcare, as we know is a little more complex than your everyday i'm going to make a gaming application for the iphone so what we've done. So you could take my place based on that statement. <laughs> Keep going, yeah. So so what we've done in the state of Colorado is we've partnered well and we've partnered often with with big healthcare delivery systems, um, and in particular, there's an ecosystem called Prime Health. Right. And as I have time on the on the show today, I do want to share um, the benefits of, of what Prime Health has done. So currently, the Denver Healthcare 
innovation ecosystem is ranked seventh nationally in terms of funding to digital health companies, in terms of wow. digital health activity, um, and really Prime is behind that. And they're, uh-huh. they're a, a massive uh, organization. They're also a nonprofit dedicated to elevating the community. So between Prime and our incubator, so a community and then a driven business incubation process, we're creating a phenomenal digital health ecosystem. So when you talk about an incubator, how much funding do you have available? Sure. Things? Okay. sure. So the, the secret sauce of our incubator is that we actually work with companies for up to two years. Okay. So there's a lot of accelerators around the country that do a quick sprint. Short term, you get it and go. I love those programs. <laughs> I think it's phenomenal for economic development and job growth. It's wonderful. They take a haircut usually six seven percent of right, equity right. and provide cash up front. We have a very different model. Okay. We do not take equity in our startup companies and we ask them to pay a small client fee just for skin in the game. It's nothing. It's it's a it's a few thousand bucks. It's it's really nothing. Um, and we're here and then do they have to agree to remain in the yes, community sir. and things like that? Obviously, yes, sir. yes. So, so we get around 175, 200 applicants. And I may have the gray hair, but the sir can go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we get about 200 applications ish a year from companies right. all around the state, and then we have a, a very strict screening process, which we narrow that down to about 25 or 30. Right. Those 25 or 30 are working with us for two years. Along the way, we connect them with funding sources. So going back to your question, how much do you invest? We do not. We don't. You just hook them up and give them Certainly. a place. Do they have a place? Do you have a, a site or we do. Like that? We, have, we do. We have a, we have a co-working facility in uh-huh. Fort Collins. We have satellite offices in Denver and Golden. Excellent. Um, but, you know, connecting to capital is my biased opinion. Connecting with angel groups, family offices, venture capital, I believe that to be a better model for economic development than the take a haircut and pay, right. pay to play. Right. That's a, a strategic decision. And so how long has this been going on? 17 years. 17 years. Yeah, wow. I started when I was five. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> and I, I was great when I was five, too, and I'm only six. Yeah. So um, as as what can you give us some examples of some companies yeah, maybe certainly. you've launched? Certainly. So, so right now, uh, some of the exciting wins that we've had coming out of our incubator, there's a women's fertility application called Kindara. Sure. Um, they're based in Boulder. Right. Um, I think they're in the top one or two in the app store for, for uh, health apps right now. They're booming. Um, another organization, another startup, RX Assurance, is a prescription yes. guarantification play. Are you familiar with RX Assurance? I've heard of that as well. Good. Good. Colorado's on the map. Um, we have a, a few other exciting companies. Um, Tell Us Fine is a, is a, basically it's a physical therapy uh, live health coaching platform. They're working with Denver Health, Mayo Clinic, Mercer. Uh-huh. Um, we have a, a valid care. They do a, um, they work in the bundled payment space. It's a payment solution, a patient engagement solution. Um, and then we have a few that are in stealth mode that I cannot share because I don't know who's going to oh. be watching this, but. Don't worry about it. You can share with me right here. <laughs> No, we, we have some we have some really great companies that um, that are really pushing the boundaries in in, in digital health. They're, they're moving past purely connected health. They're moving past what's going on in telehealth, and they're looking ahead to what the centers uh, CMI, I, the Centers for Medicaid, Medicare Innovation. Yeah, the Innovations Group. Yeah, CMI. So they're looking what's coming down the pipeline in two or three years. Let's get ready for that. So wow. we don't have a lot of companies that are playing in. Hey, what's what's legacy? What's you know? Right. It's more. It's what's coming down the pipeline, and so Colorado, because we're we're not a Boston or a Silicon Valley or an Austin, um, we ha- we have to differentiate, and that's what we look ahead. What's the exciting stuff? So let me ask you this: from a community perspective, 
I would think other communities would be coming to you trying to learn what you do. Do you have any of that happening? Certainly. And so if we go back to that organization I spoke of, Prime, who's right. sort of this umbrella watchdog for everything in digital health, absolutely. They're, they're building strong relationships with communities out of Boston, New York, Florida, and we, we try to... I mean, that. I'm in Jacksonville right now, and we've got a group called the Jacksonville Regional Health Collaborative, and I'm involved with them. Wonderful. And they're trying to actually put together a, a population health research center to do launch studies and population health programs yeah. in the community and then help those build up. That's so how, how would they get a hold of the group or you? Sure. Or? So, so first and foremost, um, Prime Health is a phenomenal resource for that. Jeffrey Nathanson, the CEO, he's here at the event. I'd be happy to share Jeffrey's contact information or mine. Um, we're, we're, and I assume people go to the website and find yeah, uh, absolutely. the information? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's either prime.com or prime.org. Uh-huh. Colorado Prime, you'll find it. Um, and, and the other one was Innisfear.org. Yeah, and between our two organizations, we can act as a directory for what's going on in the state of Colorado. Uh-huh. Um, the other thing that I, I think is really relevant to share here, and, and HIMSS especially, is the reason why Colorado is successful in digital health and the reason we're trending in such a positive direction is because the big corporates and the big healthcare delivery systems in Colorado are getting involved in early-stage innovation. They see what's happening with the shift to value-based. They see what's happening with the CJR. The fear of God has been put in these uh, <laughs> healthcare systems. And they're looking to, to um, uh, innovation. We have UC Health, we have Centura, we have SCL Health, and, and these groups are, um, the C-suite is coming to startups and saying, hey, what can we do to get you in our system? Fantastic. And, and it's all happening in Denver. So I, I couldn't evangelize for Colorado enough. But, uh-huh. yeah. Well, that's just a great idea of how you can, like I said, use use this power, what's happening in healthcare, to create economic yeah. lift in your community. Yeah, and um, and ultimately that lift then pays back because you're not only are you got employees and stuff, but you're creating better health apps or, or things that will Certainly. ultimately impact your community in Certainly. a positive sense as well. Certainly. So we have uh, Colorado Health Foundation is mm-hmm. based out of Denver. Um, and I want to say their third or fourth biggest health foundation in the country, actually. They have a few billion dollars under management. And they, they have funded uh, Prime Health. And they, so they recognize there's a need for public health outcomes, for meaningful improvements in elderly-based care. Absolutely. Um, low socioeconomic status, rural. And the vehicle to do that, startups, innovation, healthcare. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I actually did a project in uh, Colorado for Medicaid, oh, persons with schizophrenia and diabetes. Uh, it was the first disease management program for persons with schizophrenia back yeah. in uh, 2002 or so. Yeah. Ran it for a couple of years. I had a great time, obviously. We did some neat work, saw some incredible improvements in outcomes. So, but it's, it's neat now to hear of these new ideas of how you can create new companies or incubate these companies. Yeah. You know, everyone's talking about the big incubators or, you know, Guidewell Florida Blue sets up an innovation yeah. center. Yeah. But here you've got a community doing it. Which is, are there others? Certainly there the are. Yeah, like, I'd love to plug for, oh, so others around the country. Yeah, like yours? Yeah, there's a, there's a great ecosystem in uh, out of Chicago. So they have, in Chicago, they have the Matter uh, mm-hmm. physical um, co-working space. They have Health Box in, in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boston has more of the same Silicon right. Valley is just inundated by uh, healthcare accelerators and, and not-for-profit healthcare accelerators. No, right. That's what I'm getting no. at. So no, you were well, about to you. do a plug yeah. or something? Go yeah. right ahead. What were you about yeah, to say? Yeah, sure. So, so some of the other exciting activities in the Denver area. Um, so if you think of Prime as this umbrella ecosystem, you think of Innisfear as the engine powering some of the the actual boots on the ground innovation, right. working side by side with companies. Well, geographically, where is it getting done? It's getting done in a, in a building called Catalyst. 
this is even more, everything we've just talked about, thrilling, exciting. What I want to share about Catalyst is, is, is topping that all. Um, there's a gentleman by the name of Mike Baselli in Denver, who's our, our foremost evangelist nationwide for, for, for Denver. Catalyst is a 300,000 square foot, um, basically co-working space. He's calling in big payers, big wow. healthcare delivery systems. They're going to co-locate next to Innisfere, next to smaller accelerators, shoulder to shoulder with entrepreneurs in one big building. There's going to be a physician experience lab where primary care docs work shoulder to shoulder with entrepreneurs. There's going to be a, an opportunity for the big health payers, big hospital delivery systems to actually connect with the entrepreneurs in the hallway passing by, right. not flying to Vegas to see them, but uh-huh. actually interpersonal relationships blossoming. So if you think of... And when does that open? Uh, I believe it's uh, two, January 2018. It's fantastic. Yeah, so between between then and now, Innisphere is going to, and Prime together, are going to build a lot of that uh, notoriety and momentum. Catalyst opens the doors. You're going to see Denver moving from seventh in the nation in terms of funding and activity to top. Well, we want to be number one by 2020. Wow. Um, but by, two, by 2018, we'll be, we'll be top three or four. Uh, that on, is on, awesome. Yeah, it is. That it's, is awesome. It's a phenomenal community, and I'd love for you to come out to Denver. And well, actually, I've <laughs> not got an excuse since my brother lives there, so yeah. I can head out there and stay with him. Yeah. But that sounds great. Amazing what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so, again, if people want to get a hold of you. Yeah, sure. So, so I for, for those of you who are watching and listening, um, I'm more than happy to, to field any replies. I'm, you can find me at alan at innisphere.org. You can also find our, our nonprofit incubator at... W- and how would they spell the Allen? Sure, sure. Allen, right? Oh, great call. It, uh, it's A-L-A-N, actually. A-L-A-N. The at Yeah, and then I'd really recommend checking out Prime. Prime. Prime as well. And I think it's primeco.com. And then Catalyst Health Technology is the co-working space. And if you touch base to anybody in the Denver area, they'll point you in our direction or one of these other groups. Well, that's fantastic. Thank yeah. you so much, Alan, for joining us on today's show. Great stuff. Really yeah, excited to hear about that. And I'm definitely coming up to Denver to check that out. Thank you. So there you have it. What a unique idea that is. Go ahead and create a uh, not-for-profit innovation and uh, um, group where you can help the entrepreneurs get started uh, up there in Denver and uh, use that to lift your community. We're all looking for ways to create economic lift in our community, and there's a very unique way to do it. Actually help start up these companies that ultimately grow and become successful in the healthcare space. So uh, very interesting listening to hear about Innisfere. We're now waiting, obviously, for our next guest. I know uh, Greg's been doing quite a bunch of work here behind the scenes, besides passing out his pink socks that we're all wearing. So I think we're about to be joined right here, and we'll see. Hello, Carly. I think you just got pushed into this. So have a seat. We're glad you joined us. I'm doing very well. I'm Fred Goldstein. It's nice to meet you, Carly, here at HIMSS 16. Yes. you're with the Federal Government Employees Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. The big guys, right? So tell me a little about yourself and what you do. So actually, it's really exciting for me to be able to be here this year because last year I was here as a patient advocate. I did not work for CMS then. I won a scholarship that his talk sponsored. Um, so this year I'm here, you know, officially a CMS employee, um, and it's, it's just really cool to be back, and I'm really excited that... Um, I'm working with Mark Scrimshire on a project called Blue Button on Fire. Yes, we talked with Mark a little bit this awesome. morning about so it. Awesome, so you know all that about it. Yeah. But, and so, but, but you're sort of 
CMS has said, let's bring that patient consumer voice in, right? That's what, that's what you're doing, right? Sort, sort of. It's, it's a little bit complicated, but um, you know, for years I was spending my, my free time and my vacation time from my day job going to health conferences and doing advocacy work and you know, making those connections with other patients. And it's been really rewarding for me to be able to join CMS because you know, they do value that, that background, right. but also you know, my, my sort of technical education background as well. And I just think it's so exciting to be able to work on a project that could potentially help you know, millions of people and hopefully you know, provide a spark that will be proof of concept for other organizations like the VA and you know, right. other Right, so ultimately, if you get sector. this thing working, which I know it's out there, it's going to be happening, <laughs> it's going to come down, you'll have the standard API, yes. then we can just begin to get everybody plugging into a system and ultimately create what we all are talking about yeah. when, we, when we use this overused phrase of interoperability right. and linkages sure. and, and creating yeah. a true system of health and freeing up the data. Yeah. So what's your role? Um, so at CMS, I um, help with some contracting. I'm a program analyst, which is the most vague uh, title in the U.S. government. Um, but I'm helping Mark um, do a lot of outreach and um, you know make sure that everything is going along as, as well as possible and support Mark and his partner Carl in doing the actual coding and so I don't do that tech stuff, but you know everything else that helps the project run smoothly and you know like you said, hopefully be successful. Right, and I know there's been some progress made. We're looking forward to being able to see this um, fire interface and an yeah, standard yeah. API and and let those who are on I guess Medicare or through the blue button pull their information down and ultimately be used by others yeah. and connect up to that API. So that's well, fantastic. I'm glad to hear that you were paying attention when you spoke to Mark because you seems like you got it down pretty pretty well. Yeah, like I mean, this is great stuff. It was great to hear about it. Yeah. And um and so how have you thought about how's the conference been? Um, I think it's been great. Um, you know, it's been really we've gotten really good reception for our project and also you know I've heard um, Karen DeSalvo and Andy Slavitt and even Susanna Fox talking about things that intersect with what we're working on. So it's really, you know, ideas that are, that, you know, the time is right for that people support and, um, you know, it's challenging to implement, but the support is really there. And so it's nice to be working on something that, that people really want and, you know, understand the value of. That's great. And have you been able to identify various vendors or products that are now saying, wow, once this baby's live, I'm going to go ahead and and yeah, create yeah. some interface to that. Yeah, and the cool thing too, um, you know, especially my background as a patient and advocacy, it's not just going to be something that um, commercial products can use. Right. It can also be stuff that researchers can use. So I spoke to some people um, from Georgia, and they do a lot of research, and so they're excited about being able to tap into that data for research purposes. So. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, Carly, thanks so much for just coming in yeah. last minute. <laughs> sure. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Learned a little bit more about CMS and what they're doing yeah. and Mark's doing and you're part of his team yep. and so excited to have you doing that. I think it's some great work. Thank yeah, you again, Carly. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us here at HIM16. We're in the Caversa Health booth, uh, 11334, streaming live, getting a little bit of video. And so next we're going to be joined by Andrew Kobolinski with Better Doctors and we'll hear a little bit about what they're doing. As you can see at HIMSS, there are companies all over the space. So come on in. Hey, I'm Fred Hello. Goldstein. Nice to meet you. Andrew Kobolinski, Better Doctor. Yeah, Andrew, glad you're on. I just uh, told him a little bit about what you're doing. And uh, why don't you, um, <clears throat> glad you're here at HIM 16 So tell us a little about your background and then perhaps about a little about Better Doctor. All right. So Andrew Kobolinski, head of platform at Better Doctor. I joined the company in February of last year. 
but I have a background in healthcare working at a company formerly called uh, Healthline Network. Uh-huh. And I've been in the space for about 10 years. I've always been very passionate about seemingly simple problems in healthcare that need to be solved. Right. And uh, what I'm really excited about today and this whole conference is that there's a lot of alignment in the market now to right. solve some of the simple healthcare problems like provider data quality. Um, once so and I for all, I hope. That- you're about to tell us that Better Doctor solves a very simple problem in a unique way. So yes. why don't you give us some insight into that? All right. So many people don't realize that this is an issue, that provider directory data, name, address, phone number information is about 20 to 30% incorrect on most health plan websites as well as most consumer websites. Wow. Wasn't there an issue regarding that in California where they're looking at the thing? So yes. now tell me what you do with that. <laughs> yes. So in California, the... Governor Brown passed Senate Bill 137, right. basically legislating and mandating that the health insurance plans in California have a regular outreach and communication with their providers to effectively verify this information. Right, because I believe they had people enrolling in yes. health plans and then finding out that the list of doctors was incorrect and their doctor wasn't actually on it and they never would have enrolled in the first exactly. place. Exactly. That yes. yeah. And then to compound it, the increase in Medicaid and Medicare enrollments is right. just um, and a whole new group of consumers have entered the marketplace who don't have doctors traditionally, and finding a doctor is such a critical component of beginning your healthcare journey. The data is incorrect, and so many consumers have complained. And so, so, how do you work? What do you do? So, what we do is we partner with health insurance plans and other health insur- health industry partners to effectively take in the network data, meaning right. the doctor rosters and directories. We also partner with the health systems to take in the data. And when there is a lack of transparency or metadata to substantiate if that information is correct, what I mean by that is an auditable log saying that we talked to the doctor on this date at this time and had a conversation about X, Y, and Z app attributes. When there's a gap like that, the Better Doctor team go proactively does outbound communication to the doctor to ask them is the and information correct. And correct the information. Exactly. And, and are you doing that through staff that you have, or is yes. it also through technology? or? So we do it through phone calls, right. email outreach, faxes, profile claiming, and we have several partners in the industry, and we're looking for more, where if you have a workflow that involves a physician and that workflow inherently creates validated information, we have a process in the API for everyone to submit that to us so that we can redistribute it to everyone. And are you validating this in all 50 states? Today, we're focused on California and Indiana. Okay. With just based on the legislative environment. Right, right. Yeah. It's, it's much clearer there that yes. these plans have to get it right, or they're in trouble. And we've been doing test work in other markets to prepare and understand provider responsiveness to different communication methods in so other states. Can you give me a sense how many providers there are in California? There are roughly 85,000 providers in California that need to be verified on a quarterly, if not monthly basis in the near future. Wow. And so the plans are contracting with you to do that process for them. And then you're able to obviously, you then become the gold standard for here's a validated network. If you've got any, if you if any other plan needs that, they can then come to you and get that. Right. Precisely. And we're, a very open company. We have an open API and our work, we're trying to transparently get it out to everyone who needs that information. Um, As a startup, we grew up looking at data and doctor data as we assumed it to be good in the marketplace. 
So we built BetterDoctor.com as an expression of that. Do you validate on a credentialing basis as well, or is this just more of the demographic type data to find the doctor, address, specialty that? Today, our perspective has been to the consumer. So right. it's the demographic contact information that gatekeep you and yeah. I from actually calling a doctor and getting an appointment. The other information about a doctor is very interesting, but today we just want to get the name, right. address, Makes and phone sense. number correct. So when you say, oh, I want to talk to Dr. Raul Fernandez, my urologist that I've seen in past years, the receptionist on the other line says, yes, I can book your appointment, not, oh, sorry, Dr. Hernandez is not here anymore at this practice. Right, right. We need to solve that Major first. problem. And then we can go into much more interesting topics. And how large is your company now? We're about 45 people. Wow. Based in San Francisco. Uh-huh. Um, Venture-backed. The last round of funding was in 2014, um, led by NEA. So we're watching this thing grow and grow and grow. If you've just got two states going now, imagine what it's like at 50, right? Yes. It's really exciting. 2016, I think, is the year to actually solve this problem. Uh-huh. A lot of the legislation and rules that apply nationally begin to impact physicians and health plans later this year and early into 2017. There's also an interesting um, topic which I invite everyone to participate in around standards. Uh-huh. So the federal government and state legislator really wants to see more standards around provider data, more standards around sharing of provider information so that we can all work with it more consistently. A great example of this is there's no master list of IPA group names. There's no master list of IPA group synonyms for how they call themselves. So when you, we, we all have ambitions of publishing consolidated master directories of health plan information. Um, the first step in doing that is normalizing some of I our I can't imagine naming how many names must be similar. And just to give you a sense of this, so this morning I got a call, my consulting firm is called Accountable Health, and I got a call from somebody saying, we've called you because we need to send somebody over to fix your copier. And I said, no, that's not me. And they said, this is Accountable Health. And I said, yes, it is. Well, it must be another one, you know. Yep. So I can imagine what you're going to have to try to do with some of that. And um, where do you see this? You've talked a little about the future of this in some of these other states and legislation. So are, do you think the other states will introduce legislation like California did? Absolutely. Uh-huh. There's today um, some legislation already passed in other states that will become effective. The federal standards are being applied and become effective in different markets, for example, qualified health plans and right. those issuers. And then um, there are quite a few organizations today pushing template legislation loosely modeled off of California's right. laws, and that's being committed to various state regulators from different levels of insurance commissioners to um, more traditional lobbying efforts. That's fantastic. If, if uh, people want to get a hold of you or Better Doctor, where yes. do they do that? Um, go to our data website, data.betterdoctor.com, or just email andrew at betterdoctor.com, and uh, looking forward to working with everyone on this and getting well, that's it solved. that's fantastic. You know, after reading the stuff in California, realizing why that really is a problem, you know, it's great to see somebody that has a solution to that. So thanks so much for coming by today and coming on the show. We really yeah. appreciate it, Andrew. I really appreciate it. Keep up Thank the great you. work. Better doctors solving one of the problems out there of ensuring that your provider network list is actually correct. We've had major problems with that, and uh, it's nice to see a uh, company solving, as Andrew said, a simple problem. We'll give Andrew back his uh, badge here. And uh, now, got Jeff Bennett.
joining us here in the booth here at Him 16. So, Hi, Jeff, welcome. How you doing? Brad Thank Goldstein. you. Nice to have you on the show here at Elvis Division Media. Appreciate it. How's me. your day going? Fabulous. Thanks. Good. So, give me a little bit of your background and talk a little about your company, Higgy, right? Higgy, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, background, uh, we created Higgy uh, actually out of a, a private equity firm in Chicago. Uh, it's called uh, Merrick Ventures, and we had a couple different issues we're trying to solve. One was around image portability. Uh, we uh-huh. had a company called Merge Healthcare that IBM uh, recently bought. Right, right. Uh, and another business that came out of that was Higgy. So uh, okay. what we were trying to solve is uh, really connecting the, the consumer with their uh, their healthcare neighborhood. So how do you work with community partners that have infrastructure, influence, and trust to engage populations to empower them really to start taking control of their own healthcare? And by doing that, you know, you get that, but then they can share that data with all the traditional players, the, the care, care coaching platforms, the, the providers, the payers that, that so really want to access that data. Service, who, who are these groups? Uh, it started with grocery stores and pharmacies. So we're in uh, 41 retail partners, so uh, people like uh, Kroger and Albertsons and ShopRite. And when and they're in Higgy, Publix. what does that mean? Uh, there's a Higgy station, so uh, we took the old blood pressure station out. We put a new station in, which is a connected station that does a checkpoint of five tests today. There'll be more tests that we'll add over time. So it's a self-screening facility. So these facility. are like a, a self-screening kiosk in, exactly. in a store or right. in a pharmacy right. out in the community to bring data into right. providers or payers or others who might be interested in that. Correct. So okay. it's a, it's a consumers empowered because they own that data, and then they can share that with their doctor or their pharmacist or And do they then sign on at Higgy? Yes, they sign and on and create, create an account at Higgy. Yep, it's free. And then when they go into these sites, they can go ahead and get themselves off screen through this, and then it feeds up, and they can determine who they share that yeah, with. Yeah, it's all stored in the cloud, and they can share right. that with anybody they want. And yeah. uh, and and what is the obviously that's a neat benefit. What what are some of the things that the consumer gets out of that yeah. relationship? Yeah, so I think from a consumer perspective, they they have a free uh, method to. Uh, to do screens, right? Successful, and so you affordable. Said there were five screens or something like that. Five screens. And so what are those? Weight, uh, blood pressure, pulse, uh, BMI, and body composition. So uh, lean mass, hydration, and body fat today. Is it one of those you grab your hand yep. down or something like that and it measures exactly. your body yep. fat composition? Yep. It's all an FDA class two device, so it's all uh, certified through the FDA. Right. And so they go into that, do that, that feeds up, and then they can obviously track their results over time. Yeah, through a mobile app or online, they can uh, view it on our uh, an app that we have. Uh, and, then, and within that, they can share that data with anybody they want uh, through this process where someone can invite them, their doctor, and they can share that data. And so on the back side, is there like an open API yep. that people can connect to? And then you can say, I want to share this with this health plan or with this doctor. Correct. And off it goes. Yep. yep. And we're okay. partnered uh, developer.higgy.com. Anybody can interface into that. They call us up and they get access to, uh, you know, where a consumer opts in to share that data with that partner, uh, doctor or, or payer. Um, and we're also partnered with other organizations like Validic. So if you're already a Validic customer, we're just a shared device on the network. So you're you feeding into Validic, and then they're pulling through their big pipe. To go over yeah, to the hospital, right? right? So right hospital. Uh, if uh, one of Validic's customers wants to use our system, they just sign a sign agreement with us, and we're ready to go. And in that booth, or whatever, is it kind of like a booth? I don't know. That uh, it's actually just a three-by-three three, uh, little station. station like yeah. you sit down and it's do your blood pressure. Yep. Yep. And so it does take up a lot of retail space, which obviously is retail, really important. Yeah, it's, you know, yeah. dollar per square foot or whatever. I don't know how they do it, but I know the retail space is real important. Yeah, and we're in 10,400 um, retail. Uh, 10, that's what I was about to ask you. How many? 9,700 retail locations and uh, 10,400 locations across the country, which includes some clinics and hospitals and malls and corporate wellness locations. So we don't sell the corporation. So if somebody's traveling, yeah. they could go from Higgy Station to Higgy Station and keep up with their health. We're within five miles of 75% of the population. Say that again? We're within five miles of 75% of the population. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, so. And, uh, and um, there's no cost to the consumer for Free this? Free to the consumer. So 
what's your revenue model? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I want to also add that as a Go consumer, ahead. you you can also connect third-party devices and apps. So if you have a Fitbit or Garmin or a Misfit or uh, iHealth device. Oh, you can link that up to you. can link that up. And so, that yeah, as well. We believe accessible, affordable, convenient, accurate, validated data is important. For some people, that means they, they have Wi-Fi at home and they know how to make a connected device working. So one of the questions you asked yeah. about this, too. Do you, let's say somebody sits down in that booth and their blood pressure is through the roof. Yeah. Is there an alert? I mean, is uh, that there yet, or is it just feeding the data through? Yeah, uh, we're, our intended use is for self-screening. Uh, right. We're not a coach. We're not a doctor. Our platform is not a coaching platform. It's a uh, community engagement platform to feed into coaching right. platforms. We do, with FDA, has allowed us uh, to provide if it's a very severe incident, that right. they should call 911. So, okay, that's what I mean. Yeah. So, yeah, if you show up and that's at your room. If it says you're 180 say, over whatever, right, yeah. call 911. Right. Yeah. So, the, so yeah, it's not just. Uh, but if you have high blood pressure, I'm not giving no, advice for you. Right. That's not. That's yeah. not for you. You'd have to go through some different stuff. Yeah. And, well, right. that's the job of the pharmacist, the doctor. So that right. data is going to go into their system, and they're going to see that alert and call you up and say, "Hey, why don't you come in?" So we're really trying to move from lagging to leading indicators. Where today, claims data or that EHR data that's in the system is, is lagging because you're not going to the doctor more than once a year or right. twice a year or three no, times I mean, a year. Your health is outside the, the four right. walls of the care system. Right. You've yeah. got to have all these interface points. Yeah. So, so that's great. Three ways we make money. Uh, people that want to leverage our network can run marketing programs for awareness, acquisition, and engagement. So uh, both in and out of the store, they can they can run programs on our network. So we have pro- uh, marketing programs for that. Uh, if you have needs for remote uh, monitoring data or for population health data, uh, consumers have to actually share that data, but we can be a data pipe. So if you already have your own marketing programs, you already have your own engagement tools, just use our You're data. You're running the DM program in this community. You can contract with Higgy, and then, bring, and then the consumer can go in, happens to be your DM patient with diabetes, in they go, the measurements come up, and you're It goes right go. back. So once the consumer agrees to share that data, every time they check in, it just goes right back to you right. as far as that goes. So that's just data. So if someone needs the data, so I'll provide access that way. The third thing is someone needs an entire platform. So they want the data and tools and reach that we offer. That's where you can build communities within our capability. You can build challenges. You can drive engagement, um, so, and it's a full platform that you can license. And, and you talked about communities, so actually one of the things interesting, um, you know, communities like a Lake Nona where they're focusing on health, I don't know if you know about them in yeah. Orlando. Yeah. Um, there's another one actually being built in Jacksonville, so we'll have a contact after this. Yeah. To talk to you about some yeah, stuff. they can Maybe build a community on our thing. Where you yep. could drop this thing in. Yeah, right. Really unique. That's neat. And it's going beyond retail stores, so we're in churches right. today, we're That's in community centers, we're in FQHCs. We in corner in a little kiosk. In a library, yep. Yeah, the yep. library. That, yep. That's right. great. Yep. And, um, how many individuals do you have who have signed up on your platform? Sure. So today we've had over 30 million unique people. We're founded in 2012. We're just starting the company. So we had a rollout to 10,000 stations, which took time. Uh, but we have over 30 million unique users and uh, approaching 4 million registered users that have signed up just to track their vitals. Uh, and, you know, we have some early results from that. We did a, published a study at AHA Hypertension Conference last year where 83% of the people that use the system that are hypertensive and use it three times a month are no longer hypertensive, right? So they're using this to monitor and track and get that feedback uh-huh. to do that. And all this is with no no incentive. So to date, we're not doing this where someone's paying them or providing that incentive. Yeah. But we did that for the first stuff. Well, the first time we did something with uh, Rite Aid. So we did a, a challenge this last uh, in February around heart health. And over 30,000 people with really no marketing signed up for a challenge to engage around doing their screenings and being active. Excellent. So, so it Excellent. just shows that it works without really, really much marketing cost. Right. It, so. And um, how large? Something you talked about. Them, how many people? Maybe 80 people. 80, 80 people. And based out of? We have a headquarters in Chicago, office in Pasadena as well. That's great. That's great. And VC funded? Uh, uh, 
high net worth. High, high net worth. worth. Yeah. So our, right. our chairman is Mr. Yeah, our chairman's Mr. Wrigley, the former CEO of uh, of the Wrigley Company. Wrigley. So he's he's the largest investor in the company. Well, that's great. Yeah. And if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Or with the company, where do they go? Yeah, Higgy.com. H-I-G-I. Yeah. And anything with the name or where that came from, or yeah. was it just something cool that nobody else had? Something cool that we wanted to create create an idea of. It's, it's not about health. It's about health and wellness and engagement. So we wanted to create its own brand, kind of live it on uh-huh. its own. So uh, there's some social media stuff that might have been created by some fun social media people around origins of your health. But uh, it really is something to, to mean uh, giving consumer empowerment to control their health and empower them to, to connect to their healthcare neighborhood. Uh-huh. Well, that's excellent. Okay. So glad you came today. Yeah, appreciate it. Sounds it. neat. Higgy. And go to Higgy.com yep. to find out more, and they've got these kiosks all over the place. Yep. So looking forward to seeing some continued growth with that. Thanks, Thanks so much. much for joining us appreciate today. Thank you. Thank you. Media. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. it. Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you. So there you have it, another unique solution, Higgy.com. About almost 10,000 of these stations out there. Some pretty good utilization, uh, even to publish study on some improvements in health outcomes, which is always good to see. Oftentimes you wonder if any of these platforms or other systems are actually going to work. Um, I sit on the Validation Institute, the Intel Validation Care Innovation Validation Institute. Let me get that right. The Intel Care Innovation Validation Institute Advisory Board, where we actually put together some um, ways to validate the measurements that many of these population health companies are coming out with and uh, looking to see if when they say they've improved costs or improved clinical outcomes, that they're in effect can be validated. Um, and it's nice to see a uh, study done here for this company with Higgy to show that they actually uh, did see some improvements in people with hypertension. Um, so we've got Greg here setting up the next one. It looks like Michael Dermer is here. Hey, Michael, sit down here for a second. So Michael Dermer is a good friend of mine, uh, long-term healthcare guy very involved. We had a company called Incent One, and he's just going to sit down for a second and join me here in the booth. And uh, it's great to have you here. How are you? Me. Doing great. How are you? Doing terrific. You're looking dapper today, as always. Thank you, sir. Yeah. So what you up to today? See anything cool? Um, yeah, it's just amazing. You see uh, such a wide range of solutions um, that you always see at, at Hims. Um, and obviously, you know, everybody kind of fighting to figure out, you know, how does it actually deliver results for the for patients' providers? It's really right. interesting. And you were most recently at WellTalk with your company, Incent One, that had been acquired a couple years ago. Yep. You've now stepped out of that. I think you've launched The Lonely Entrepreneur. Yeah. And you're also doing consulting work around in- incentives yep. in healthcare, which is such a critical issue. So, which topic would you like to discuss first, Mike? Uh, so, I had formed a company called the Dermer Group after uh-huh. my company, Incent One, had been acquired um, by WellTalk. And what's really interesting is you watch, you know, incentives, as you and I have talked about many times, yeah. you know, 10 years ago didn't exist. Now, people are like, well, of course, you need to have them. So, you watch a lot of these new market companies come and try to figure out how do we get ahead of a market in something as complex as healthcare. So, in the Dermer Group... We spend a lot of time on rewards and incentives, but also a lot of time just on go-to-market strategies. Right. You know, how do you bring a new product to market because incentives was completely new? Um, and you actually did it. You brought a new company to market, so you have the expertise as well as that deep expertise in incentives, so you kind of can do both. Yeah, what's interesting is, you know, if you're ahead of the market a little bit, at the time, you're crazy. And then as people look back, if it comes to fruition, they say nice things like, you're ahead of your time. Yeah, exactly. um, but at the time, 
you know, customers don't say to you, you're ahead of your time, so let's buy your solution. So, <laughs> you're whack. Yeah, you're whack. All right. We're, we're never going to, you know, the, the comment to us was, we're never going to reward people who are the unhealthiest. Right. These are the people that are not doing what they should no, be doing like for themselves. No, we like to punish them. Right. <laughs> and so anyway, it's, it's just interesting to watch over a period of time, and right. you and I talked about, that it really, it's that tough balance between how do you be far enough ahead of something that what you're doing is unique, and yet not so far ahead that it doesn't fit into changing reimbursement and the complexity of the healthcare system. And it's a really tough balance and frankly, you know, requires a, requires a lot of capital. Uh-huh. Yeah. So what is the latest in incentive? What should people really be considering? You know, they've been used in the employer space for a yeah. while. Yeah. Some successful, some not. Yeah. Are you, is it going to move into the whole provider space and we get to value-based things like that? Are those some of the things you work on? So a couple of things. Not one, um, it's now pretty much expanded to, with the exception of pharma, almost every specter of healthcare. So as you know, Medicare passed regulations last right. year. It's happening at the Medicaid level. So it's pretty much an accepted And so the practice. Medicare regs, in essence, many people may not know this, yeah. allow for what? Yeah. So previously, for 50 years, um, there was a limit on, but you could do very limited things under Medicare. Right. Give away $50 a year for a le- very limited set of behaviors. And what Medicare realized, which most people did, was you need to have incentives to drive behaviors. So they basically opened it up. They said there's no dollar limit on the dollar of incentives. Um, the amount you give away just has to be kind of, quote, unquote, reasonable relative to what you're getting somebody to do. And they opened it up to, you know, not every behavior, like you can't do outcomes, but they want people to experiment with it. So now MA plans are really moving forward quick and fast with trying to how to do, use that to drive gaps in care, star ratings. So that was a major development. Um, in the, as you mentioned, in the employer space, you've got most large employers spending $1,000 per employee on incentives. And so the level of sophistication of getting to, um, you know, real outcomes-based incentives that we've talked about, I think this year it's going to be probably go where 50% of companies will use some kind of outcomes-based measure. But then also being um, more holistic about it. So thinking about things like not just health behavior, but what if I get somebody to go to a lower-cost MRI, right? right? I can save money. Um, to deal with the whole, am I getting a return on investment? Yeah, and I've on seen it. some cases where they take that, send them off to, uh, if you'll go use this network or these providers okay. who are lower cost, we're going to share some of that savings back with you, Absolutely. The, uh, our employees, yeah. to, uh, to incent them to drive that behavior and help them control this growing healthcare cost. You see that a lot in the transparency solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but the basic idea is don't just think of behavior as improving your health, right? It's a whole holistic set of behaviors. So if I can steer to a network or if I can, you know, go to an MRI that costs $500 versus $2,000, why wouldn't you employ engagement tools like incentives to drive them? And for employers, you know, the struggle has been, how do I get ROI? Right. Because we're trying to deal with smoking cessation nutrition. But if you could combine things that produce an immediate ROI, like lower cost imaging and some of the things we're talking about, with that, I think it gives kind of more of a lever to go to the financial folks of the world and say, listen, this is not just feel-good pie in the sky. There's actually some real numbers. Some real stuff here. Yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense. So you're, you've been, you're an expert in this, and you've been doing this for a long time, and I've I watched you do this yeah. stuff and been able to pick your brain sometimes. It's always been great. So it's been used a lot in the employer space. We're now, as you said, moving into the MA space, yeah. moving into the provider space potentially, and it also is a broader deal. Yeah, yeah. So 
as they think about, as providers think about this, you know, a lot of times you see providers when they're talking about, well, we'll just, we'll just roll out a population health program yeah. without understanding that there's been a whole load of work done yeah. in this, maybe yeah. in a different space. Yeah. So it's the same thing incentive. So they could come to you at the Derma Group yeah. and say, hey, you understand these. Let's now get your expertise in and yeah. we want to build a provider-based incentive program yeah. or, a, or an MA plan incentive program. Yeah, so when you think about it all comes down to getting a consumer or provider to do something. At the end of the day, healthcare, we've got to get one of those two audiences to act. And those are individuals, right? So they make a certain amount of money, they spend their time a certain way. So you learn just about how dollar values affect behavior. So on the provider side, it's very much going to mimic what happened on the consumer side. On the consumer side, people said there's plan design with the incentives in it. Right. And now people have accepted that you need incentives to complement that because something like plan design can't prevent you from eating pizza. Right. The same thing's going to happen in the move to value on providers. They're going to come up with the basic, you know, revision of the fee structure to be more value oriented, and within that there'll be incentives, but they're also going to need supplementary incentives to drive different types See, of behavior. So you brought up something I wasn't even thinking about. So when I was talking about it, I was saying, okay, as the, as as the risk moves to providers, they need to consider incentives for their patients yep. to drive them. But you're talking about incentives to drive the provider yeah. behavior as well, yeah. which makes a ton of sense. Yeah, and I think you're going to find um, it's going to dovetail with the consumer. So take you know, readmissions, right? Right. So somebody checks out a hospital after hip, hip surgery and they get their care plan and the hospital now is going to get reimbursed very differently, right, if they get readmitted in 30 days. At some point, that patient is just going to be enrolled in an incentive program. It uh -huh. says go to your follow-up visits, do your physical therapy, take your meds, do that stuff because they can do math, right? It's how yeah. many people reach out. <laughs> so I think it all comes down to what we said before and you and I have talked about many times. It's just behavior. And it's just a matter of how do you apply it to different audiences, different ways. So on a sort of high level, you know, obviously not digging down the weeds because people always want to pay you to do that. But where do you, um, what sort of incentives tend to work? We know that some sort of incentives maybe are less effective. Yeah. Just on a general basis. Really, um, cash and cash equivalents are by far the most effective incentives. So in healthcare, that's money off your premium, money in health savings account, a gift card or a debit card. Okay. And that mimics what happens with consumers outside of healthcare, right? So when you look at loyalty programs, for example, millions and millions of choices that consumers make of saying, I want to pick a certain incentive. I can pick cash, I can pick debit cards, I can pitch a, pick a TV. 98% of people pick either cash or debit cards and gift cards. Okay? Uh -huh. People get the economic value of it. So it's those cash and cash equivalents that work the best. And there are some things around behavioral economics in terms of how you present it Absolutely. to it that also have a profound impact. Right. So there's a lot about, you know, uh, risk of loss, you know, upside versus downside, positive right. versus negative. It all kind of works together. But even how you layer incentives next to each other. Right. So if I give $50 for um, getting a biometric screening, I really can't give the same $50 for improving your BMI by 10 percent. So it, it's, it all is both kind of art and It's a science. complex process to work through that whole system structure, incentive this way yep. with risk aversion, incentive that way with yep. a positive. Right. And, and so you, that's sort of what you work. Yeah, you, somebody says, okay, I think I'm, I'm willing to spend $500, go. You know, <laughs> okay. Give me the optimized way of doing that. If you remember a couple of years back, people were saying, well, everybody's going to do sticks. Yeah. And I'm a big believer that every program should have sticks in it, and it should be you know, partnered with, with carrots. These days, the, probably 5 or 6% of companies are using sticks. Mm -hmm. you know, they're, then you're tying it to very specific things. So I think people have realized, okay, sticks may work, but if I'm ultimately trying to say to you, Fred, behave better, 
I can only hit you over the head so many times. So I think there's a, you know, they, they need a lot in my head. We just learned a lot over the course of time. And fortunately, when we were running these programs, we didn't have a bias, right? We were the executor of it. So when data came in, we weren't trying to push people to a certain, certain result. We just kind of got in at the time we sold in Cent One. We had about 50 million transactions. So we're just looking at that objectively and saying, okay, if I give something away positively versus negatively, if I get $50 versus $25, if I do it with a guy age X versus a woman age Y with these demographics to come through. And it's just, you know, it's experience that's happened over the course of time. Fantastic. Well, incentives are a key area now. I think we're going to see more and more of that. Yeah. Um, you're, I mean, you know that stuff better than anybody yeah. I've ever seen in the country. Yeah. It's so fantastic to have you on. Thanks, Michael, for joining us here. Nice talking to you, And folks. remember, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Uh, just at the Dermer Group. So it's uh, www.dermergroup.com. Fantastic. Perfect. Thanks, Thanks very much. Thanks for coming in. Glad to see you again. Nice you Looking forward to seeing you at the next conference. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, it's something you oftentimes don't think about as you're looking at your population health program, particularly when the providers are beginning to look at this, but incentives and how you design and develop that program are critical. Every other sector of our healthcare economy sort of has these incentives built in, so get a hold of Michael if you want some help. We've now got the Matthew Holt coming into the booth here. As opposed to Obviously, he is probably one of the few people, well, we've had actually a number of very good ones, who doesn't need an introduction. But Matthew, it's great to have you as always. <laughs> so actually, I hate to tell you this, but um, back in 2003 or four, the Matthew Holt was a guy who had climbed seven mountains on seven continents. And then slowly, as I did more and more in the healthcare blog uh, and elsewhere, I, he got driven off the front page of Google by me. But unfortunately, there's now a, male, a British male model in Europe who does like sort of lots of fashion shows, and he's been driving me off the front page at Google. But I thought that model was you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you need some population health eyesight management. I do. Uh, I need to go get a new vision yeah, program. Right no. new vision testing. No. So, 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 you, so you guys are just sitting here going live? This live uh, we are live, we are live on streaming now uh, on Health Innovation Media, and we are filming as we go, and we've had a non-stop group of great guests, and I'm so glad, actually, that you reached out to us, pinged us, hit us on the head a little bit, do and it? said, I want to get on your show for this time. You guys need to do some work for me <laughs> instead of me doing the work for you, which is exactly what you said, right? I should, I should, well, that was a little unfair. But it was absolutely well, appropriate, and, and right. coming from you, I will accept it. Now, there are uh, other people that might really tick me <laughs> off, <laughs> but from you, I'm happy uh, to say. So how how have you been at the hymn so thing? What I, you so I, you know, so like you, I've been coming to this for a very long time. Uh, as you know, I have I have certain feelings about the organization which are not always as charitable as they might be. Um, I, a lot of what's happened, in, I think. You take the, so I first came in 1994 when I was a new consultant. Didn't know what the hell was going on. I can't. I've been the most, not all of them, the most hymns since then. Right? Yeah. Uh, I was actually, believe it or not, I was the guy who got them to allow bloggers to impress because I applied and they wouldn't give me a press pass in 2003, I believe. Wow. Uh, and I, maybe four, and basically at that, that point, they said, well, you're an established healthcare IT media. And I said, I will show you guys, blah, blah, blah. And the next thing, actually, they changed it to you, and that's all of them. Um, and, by, and now, as you know, and I know, and Greg knows, uh, the distinction between, you know, what the hell is real official media and then what is, you know, the, the world of online chatter and social, now they have the social media ambassador thing. The joke is two years ago they made me a social media ambassador 
the last two years, Dave decided I'm not one, but they still gave me the social media, media ambassador badge. I don't know why. Well, congratulations. <laughs> because while well, I you came here, oh no, I got kicked out of the press room. <laughs> <laughs> No, the only better expression. There's no better wife. Because I'm actually a professional. I'm not impressed. Sorry. No, go ahead. The only better expression is that they feed you and they give you free coffee. So I was down here. And, when I, got so I was out. down here in the basement. Right. I'm down here and I'm going. I'm not going to go back at the restaurant. So I went to buy some coffee. Oh my god! I'm going to actually have to pay for my own coffee at him's like the rest of the uh, the suckers. Right, right. And luckily, I met a friend of mine in the queue who bought my coffee for me. So oh, I'm still not paying for a cup of coffee at him's. But uh, it's actually quite quite interesting because those of us who run conferences go, how can we get away with charging all this money and then not giving anybody any food? Because if you run a conference, as you know, and you know very well, oh, yeah. the biggest bill is the food. And hence, the first They've been able to get that <laughs> off their plate. Yeah, literally off their plate. Literally off their plate. Yeah. Hey, um, Greg, I didn't realize you should be, uh, I didn't, I didn't, I forgot, completely forgot I was coming in tweet it. I can't get my, I was having my phone at some point. All right, what are we supposed to be talking about? My job here is to allow you to analyze, discuss, and let give me, us the let full me, let insight me, let me, on what let, you feel okay, about let, this let, lovely show. Let, no. Okay. Well, let, let, me the give, let, me, let me give Go you the, the, the hint. So, I came to him in 2004 in Phoenix. It was the first year they'd gone like over 5,000 people. And people started to go, okay, there's this thing called information technology, and it, you know, it, used, it, it just stopped being the HA sort of something. The HA right. had a bigger conference that time than him, right? And that conference is kind of, the HA conference is kind of dwindled, but it's kind of things to the hospital side. Uh, you know, IHI and others have sort of grown in, in stature competitively. They're obviously not as big as him. But um, what also was going on is at the same time as that, you had these, this growth of, at that stage, a little more of a startup, uh, client-server-based, ambulatory care EMRs, right? So what is now part of GE-centricity, but was their medical logic, next-gen, right. uh, Epic, Epic, which in those days was not an impatient EMR, right? Was, uh, and then, you know, and a couple of others, right? And, uh, and all scripts of fight, some of them. So that, those guys were all like growing. There were the big players inside the hospital systems who were basically ADT systems or lab systems on searching or what. And everyone kind of knew this couldn't go on forever. And they had to change. We were coming up on the information technology. At the same time, I went into my office. I worked at a place called the Institute for the Future. Um, and I went, I was like on the healthcare policy run, and our clients there were like big managed care plans, big uh, HMOs, big drug companies. And they were like asking their question was, what the hell is this healthcare reform thing that nearly happened to us? Well, what's happening to them in you know, Hillary Care or that right. stuff? Right, right. So, I, the Institute for the Future also had a bunch of people doing technology forecasting. So at the same time as I'm going to him, so I'm learning about these new client server things, and you know, I have the data which is which I had then, which is the, the, in other countries that time, the mid '90s, more and more of them were putting in these systems into their amateur care. You know, the Brits and the yeah. Norwegians were starting to buy these client server systems for their for their GPs, for their general practice office. No one was doing much here, but you were building all the stuff that's been built. Meanwhile, there I am. I go into the next door office, and it's the future, and it's a guy who. Here's a joke. He'd just been laid off by Apple with a lot of money, with a lot of stocks. In 1994, Apple was laying people off because they were in the right. spiraling down, right? And he, he's hanging out in the future, researching stuff. And he said, anyway, so I'll get to the point in a second here, honestly. <laughs> so he he clicks on his computer and says, look at this. And like, nothing happens. And I stand and he says, wait, wait, wait. And eventually, 
out of the speaker, it goes, chop, 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 chop. I said, what's that? He said, I just downloaded uh, the mating call of an Australian songbird from the <laughs> University of Adelaide. I said, well, okay. He said, I've used this thing called the Mosaic browser on this thing right. called the World Wide Web. Right, and this is like January 1994. The Mosaic browser's been out yeah. for about 10 minutes at this point. <laughs> and, and I'm going, well, clearly that's, you know, that's fun for that kind of stuff, but what the hell would you use it for? And by 1998, right, we have the whole eHealth.com boom. We have WebMD going to be, you know, uh, Stan Kishnowski, I, I remember it was going to be that Janus Capital bought hundreds of millions of dollars worth of WebMD stock at $73 a share, and it was like down at $7 a share with a, with a few, few months. You have that entire thing going on, in, which was web-based, right? Right. Um, that rose and imploded in the big financial thing in the early 2000s. Meanwhile, you've got that slow sort of, slow, very slow growth of those outpatient systems and the clever ones, the Judy Faulkner primarily and Tom right. Horshack, decided to marry the two things together. They got Kaiser to pay in, the, to buy them, 2003. And that really started, the, you know, you just started to see the pickup of EMI use then. And then, of course, the government poured in a whole Shitload of money in uh, right here we go. Uh, we're gonna drop. We're gonna drop a ton, a ton in there, and you're gonna build to these standards, and we're gonna, and that's those standards wow. that we need. Ba -da 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 -da. You know, right. <laughs> you, can, you can you can argue back and forth about how it was done. That's how it got done in every other country where they did get outpatient EMR. They have still not fixed in other countries the problems between which we still have right. between outpatient elementary care and acute care. There is still a big uh, cultural, social workflow and technical divide between those two things mm -hmm. here and the other countries. It's kind of, you know, with some of the, the systems that are doing both here, it's going on. But meanwhile, in the background, all the stuff that you and I have been looking at all these years, right, all these patient-facing tools that yes. are, like, online that, that look like things that people see in their real life. So that look like Facebook or look like, uh, you know, Google Apps or looking or starting to be hosted in the cloud by people like Amazon, who are, I saw around the corner, right, Amazon Web Services yeah. here. The way people live their lives right, is different. So that's all starting to that's all starting to, to, to come in. And, and what Health Diplomacy has been doing is, you know, on the healthcare blog or whatever, people like you, highlighting these. In fact, where Shell, when he when he took over Healthline, which was the rebranded yourdoctor.com, and then they have another name in the middle, right? You got some funding and it started again in 2005, 2006. You saw those companies that imploded in the dot-com boom start coming back, but they were coming from the outside, right? They were coming from right. patient-focused stuff. They were doing online communities. They were doing weird uh, ways to help a search company looking at content of patients and what have you. Uh, if you could talk about those, they were the early days as well. And all that stuff, I mean, and what now is the interesting piece, which is eventually going to be good for healthcare and may or may not be good for health 2.0 <laughs> that's the company right yeah. is that you've got three things going on at once and I think it's, it's a really fascinating time so my, my thing is you've got all of the added things that really resolve off this thing my upside down phone and this thing right the right. fancy watch and the sensor right? you've got the tracking of things people conditions and into that is going diagnosis and all the stuff that we really see and we yeah. show on this health health to and elsewhere. So you've got all that stuff going, going together. You've got we're in the conversion health food right because Phil is uh Phil for your host here. You've got the second thing which is we have brilliant communication technologies, okay we're split split over you know, you've got to text check your text, your WhatsApp, your WeChat, your your you know, your, your email we're split but your Facebook messenger, your Skype, all you got right. There's a million of them. Million of them. 
but you can find literally, you know, I was woken up this morning by a friend of mine in China, you know, a quick text chat with them and whatever. So you get all this stuff going on, you know, you, you have that communication. And that is, I've been to the next door, called self population health management. We don't quite know what population health, you know what population health is. But you've got that whole piece of communication that's now, you know, when the patient's there, which is, right, what, 99.7% of the time, right? Yep. So you've got those two pieces going on, and we know that in our world we have to integrate that. We have incredible diagnosis going at home. Now, whether sort of the feronosis of the world are fake or not, there are but that thing of taking that, the, that stuff's going to go no matter what, matter, whether, whether that company whether that or not, company is right. fraud or not, doesn't matter. We have only beyond home pregnancy testing. Yes, there hasn't been that much home testing of, of stuff, and now you've got that world plus the uh, and the combination of the of the, mm-hmm. the wet and the dry testing. Yep. You've got the communication piece, so companies like and so what's the, the third one? Well, the third part to me is the most interesting part, which is that stuff all lives on cloud-based new systems that are all on AWS or whatever, right? And remember those guys, the next gens and the epic yes. guys, they're still all kind of world. They've taken over that world with that federal money, and now you're seeing them building castles with moats and forts with both the systems, the big health systems that have been buying up doctors to try to sure the referral base and you're seeing the uh, and you're seeing the systems you know, the, the technology systems there you know integrating we have these data silos and all right that stuff. now wouldn't agree with me but a lot of people say so but the technology that's going on in the rest of the world yeah I agree. the technology that's going on in the rest of the world uh yeah you've seen those the clinical works these guys they've started these cloud-based systems out in the hinterlands out with the, the small dogs and they're adding more and more complexity and they're now going Okay, it's time for us to go into, you know, and, and make the make the leap into the fortress, right? And connect in. And yeah. connect in. And not even connect in, but build it. So I think the the big story for him, or for the enterprise health IT world, which he represents for the next 10 years, is how long do those big systems... One minute, then we're going to... Okay, so well, I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 well, well, how long do those big systems stay... Uh, stay as they are because they are client server, they are service in the basement, they have all the stuff you have to deal with. And the rest of the world is saying, screw that, we're going to outsource the technology to Google, Facebook, Amazon, whatever. And the equivalent, whether it be Athena Health, the clinical works or whomever who's doing cloud-based stuff, right. how long before they say, you, we can do it so much cheaper for you on this basis than you maintaining your own system? That is the big change that's going to come. I think Either you're right. Either. It's kind of the, the move from the IBM System 360, you know, to... PC-based, then to these multi-processor-based, and then cloud. Yeah, I think you're right. That, that's the cloud coming in. Every other enterprise in the world is going to go from cloud soon, and healthcare will stay behind, but how long? Anyway, yeah. so that's why I feel like It's an, it's an interesting world. Well, Matthew, as always, great to see apparently, you again. Apparently, we'll I'm taking your chair now, and I'm going to interview Jay. That <laughs> sounds great. All right. You'll go ahead with that, and uh, I'll see you at will you be at the Care Innovation uh, meeting next week. Yes, see you I'll see you there. Fantastic. All right. Am I, am I taking up? You want me to move? All right, I'm moving. And, and lean into a Am I not close enough? No. You're, you're, I'm leaning back. I will lean closer. There you go. Okay. Lean in closer. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Okay. So now I have taken over as the host. Fred gets a minute. Now I was just ranting away. So now we're going to meet the original... Um, health, we used to call him the health people, doctor, but uh, the original, what do you call yourself, the original, but 
know it. You were the first medical professional probably ever to be on the Colbert show, right? <laughs> the Colbert re- Report. Now no, he's changed as well. But this is Jay Parkinson. Uh, these days at Sherpa Health. When you came out of medical school, you got... What was the first question? You remember all in Hello Health, but you know how you had a brand name before that as well. That's yeah, just Jay Parkinson, MD, man. Jay Parkinson, yeah, yeah, really. Like, great. Creative. That, that was good. <laughs> and uh, now, for what, what, four years now, you've been a Sherpa? We've been running yeah. Sherpa. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I was just ranting and raving about the big car fuels and how the walls have been taken down technology-wise. But in addition to that, there is a whole growth of healthcare service organizations, delivery organizations, with like real doctors and right. clinicians involved, who are thinking about new ways to provide care that people actually need rather than the way it was always done. Um, right. And they are using, in some cases, their own or other people's technology to do those. But you're right in that box. So tell us from the start what Sherpa's up to, what you're up to, Jay, and what sh- how Sherpa works and how, sh- and how, sh- how Sherpa does what it does. And then we're talking about the growth of the company. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, yeah, so basically what we do is we hire doctors and then we contract with companies. Um, uh, and then we market to their employees, hey, when you're thinking you need healthcare, reach out to our doctors first. We'll take a history. Um, we may or may not order tests. We'll get a diagnosis. We'll manage. We'll treat. Uh, and we do this over time because it's asynchronous messaging, how we all communicate nowadays, like email. So so uh, you, now I'm, uh, and you have been actually very successful branching out to a lot of companies, so starting your own base in New York, right? Yeah. Maybe from there. I mean, yeah. You started way back when with the Freelancers Union, but now you have a bunch of corporates, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. So g- give me a sense of what kind of companies are, are your customers. Sure. Um, well, it's interesting. For the last uh, four years, we've been really uh, focused on New York and California. So it's been a lot of, that was strategic. Uh, it was very, very sort of uh, forward-thinking, uh, younger tech companies. Um, about four weeks ago, we just launched basically in all 50 states, which is very exciting. Fantastic. Um, and that has opened us up to larger and larger conversations with larger companies. So, so, so I'm going give, give to give me a brand name of a company as a company. Okay, so Meetup, Foursquare, Tumblr. Okay, you know, so, so, yeah. I'm, so I'm a... Uh, I wish. I'm a 29-year-old woman working at Tumblr, uh, no, I guess what, the Yahoo or whatever now, and uh, yeah. or, 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 or meet up one of those companies, and, you know, I need, I have a problem, I have a UTI, whatever. Um, what do I actually, what, what, what do I actually do now? So you've somehow communicated with their HR department that yeah. uh, Sherpa's sure available. Yeah. What do they get? Do they have a site they go to? Do they yeah. have an email? What, what, what do I actually do now? So, first time number one, it's all about usage, right? Yep. So if you're a company and 2% of a company uses your service, it's worth it. Yep. Um, so we've invested heavily in getting damn near everybody on the, on the, uh, as employees registered in Sherpa. So it's an app. Yep. Uh, it's a, uh, we're just launching the Android now, but iOS has been around for about two years. Web, of course, has been around since day one. Um, and uh, you just go online. Real simple. Uh, click, hey, I'm sick. Tell us your story. And uh, typically a paragraph or two. And our doctors dive deeper. And then uh, we might send you to get tests. We might not. Uh, we so, order so, so let, let, let's be medication. Really so mm-hmm. I will send you the thing. I'm, you know, I've got to, I feel like a whatever. I've got a pain in my belly. Whatever yeah, yeah. it is, I send yeah. it in. I get, a, I get a, essentially a message back saying, tell me a bit more. Do I, does, it go, does it go synchronous at some point? Or do I just stay synchronous? No, it's always asynchronous, always asynchronous unless okay. it's urgent and we jump on the phone. Yeah. Okay. Um, but no, it's, uh, you tell us your story. And we've created about 250 history-taking protocols. Yep. So, you know, if it's uh, UTI, basically, we just press play on the, those questions. And it fires off a series of questions to the patient. 
they answer the questions, and we've ruled out the bad stuff via those questions, and then ruled in the, the things that we think is going on. And then at the other end, you have a doctor. Is it all doctors or, or a mix of clinicians? Who's, who's answering and how much is computers versus humans at your end answering the questions? And right. the next thing? Well, our whole system is all about like maximizing a doctor's time, right? right. Um, so automating history yep. 95% of the time solves a big problem um, and also allows patients to talk on their time and terms uh, to us. And then, um, and then we've automated uh, treatment protocols. We have about 280 treatment protocols. Uh, so not only history taking, but treatment protocols, everything in between, powered by the doctors. And are the doctors Sherpa employees? Are you contracting people to some of their spare time? How, 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 does, it, how does the model work from, from that sort of wide range? They are full-time Sherpa doctors through our professional corporation. Fantastic. And, uh, mm-hmm. Where are they? Are they all New there? York City. They're sitting in the okay. Absolutely. So that, that's an interesting question. You've been online talking about the, the some of the home visit models which we can go back and forth about whether they we know used to do it. You said it wasn't sustainable. It's well, I'm saying, can you really drive someone to uh, somewhere for 99 bucks? We'll see, but uh, that some companies are paying for it. Anthem's covering a couple of the companies in in, in the hill, others in California. But but. Um, a lot of the other models, right? A lot of the, the, the on the not on the models. A lot of those guys, are, some of them are being used by large provider groups to sort of be a telemedicine arm, but yeah. some of them are using spare time of, of right. spare mm-hmm. spare time of doctors around a real job, like doing on the weekend or whatever. Right, right. And there are some doctors making a full time job of that. I, I was online with a, a, an American well doctor who was in Colorado, but licensed in nine states, so they could take yeah. all from you know basically the whole of the Western U.S. Mm-hmm. G- give me a sense about how this difference between you being and, and, and I'll get asked this question because that's going to be quite a in the middle. The sense about how important it is to be a professional organization that has technology services versus being a technology organization that hires professional services. Where do you think that's going you know, to get the difference? How, you're clearly one, not the other. How, do you, how is that going to play out for you? Um, primarily, we are a service. Uh, we have very exclusive technology that, that powers every detail of our service. Um, if we were to sell that, for example, um, most healthcare doesn't have any idea how to run a proper service. <laughs> so in many ways, um, you can think of it as it, it's primarily a service design company. Um, I don't really strongly believe in much. You can't automate a ton of service processes uh, for the patient experience. Um, but basically, I don't know, I'm sort of, this is what I've been thinking about here at Hims. I see a lot of technology that requires a complicated service to power that. So we basically just said, you got to have both right. together. Because if you don't, you're leaving it up to the, the people that don't have a great track record to deliver something positive. So, so let me ask you a bit about the, the next part, right? So you, you mm-hmm. mentioned urgently getting to your doctor. Now, now mm-hmm. I'm, I, I might get a test. Uh, let's say the answer is I need a script, a uh, drug. You yeah. call a script till I get on the Walgreens or write it or whatever it is and pick it up. Right. Um, what about now I actually have, you know, I have a chronic condition or I have something that's not going away or I, I need a bit more of that right. care? Because right. you're seeing a lot of the sort of, the uh, is it whether it be retail or telemedicine or telehealth or yeah. acute, urgent care, right. acute stuff, and then we are seeing these different models emerge. Oh, yeah, Rashika and Iora is one of the right. into this in figuring out how to deal with chronic care management. Right. Is that an area that you guys are getting into with those 
for those employees, or are you finding yeah. how, how, where do you send people when they when they need that kind of thing? So four years ago when we started, we were focused on very acute, simple things. Yep. And we were really competing in the telehealth space back there because really, whenever you don't have continuity, you can only do twenty or thirty diagnoses. Right. Whenever you have continuity, we're now up to about five hundred acute and sometimes chronic issues. Um, so it's been a slow march toward solving more and more diagnoses. Um, about three months ago, we jumped into, hey, what would it look like if we started managing diabetes and asthma? Yep. So we're starting to do that in an asynchronous way, in a very, I think, smart way. Um, but, you know, it's unlocked so much when you can start communicating on the patient's time and terms. And also order tests, um, get those results back, act on them, you know, uh, routine tests. Um, I mean, it's just there's so much you can do whenever it's asynchronous. So on the on the testing side, and then I was going to ask you about some other services as well that you may have been developing. But so uh, if, if I order a test, I get to go down the lab core or something, um, yeah. or I get a, get a so you you don't have that bit hosted. Do, are you? There are obviously um, uh, organizations who are starting to do more intensive coaching and group visits sometimes in, in yeah. person. Yeah. Is that an area where, and using other types of professionals, like chiropractors, what else, sure. what else, sure. uh, acupuncture, is, is that an area where you are thinking of, of going? Are you going to have a sort of physical presence as well? And what other kinds of services do you think are being requested you know, to sort of complete the, the envelope to those, uh, right. those uh, patients? I think a question. I mean, I, I don't think we'll ever have brick and mortar. Yep. Um, I look at us as like Netflix rather than Blockbuster. I think there's a lot of great Blockbuster out there. Um, and that's who we're sort of collecting as partnerships. Right. Um, and I think they're forward-thinking people out in communities. And sort of if we serve as that sort of glue uh, so that we can understand who they are, they can understand who we are, and we can refer back and, you know, to them, it makes a lot of sense. And on that point, I think it's a, it's a very interesting issue that I think most people go into that world yeah. with no help, right? Yeah. So, you know, you have uh, the shows often they quite great to unnecessary back surgery and all these kinds yeah. of stuff, right? People go into the world of, of specialty care and, uh, and there's no really good, I wouldn't say primary care, if there's no really good guide for, for them. Is that an area where, I know when you very first started, you were talking about doing that for your individual patients. Is that yeah. an area where you think you are already or is that an area where you're going to be helping out in terms of so now somebody needs surgery they need cancer treatment they need need something but you know they could use some help navigating the system and navigating the right doctors there are obviously other companies doing that but it's an area where you think you're going to be playing as well I think you'll hear some pretty exciting news from us uh, out of that uh, that space especially around the concept of the center of excellence Uh, so if you can serve as a wonderful funnel to basically understand what a patient's condition is and then have resources available to you as doctors and care coordinators to say, you know what, it sounds like you have a potential need for back surgery. Uh, There is a center of excellence somewhere. um, And we'll drive them to those uh, centers of excellence. So I I think it's a huge high-ticket issue and um, it's going to save a lot of people money and time. Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking, uh, how how long have we got? Right. I mean, I, I, I think it's fascinating because I think people are getting completely lost in the system. Totally. And we know there's a massive variation of care, right. of quality and quantity of care, right. massive variation of cost, of course. And, you know, there are some different angles trying to cover this up. But in the end, yeah. what, 
90% of patients I think want someone to help them guide through that. Clarity. Yeah. And that to me is like, that's such a great role if you could do that at the yeah. cost of yeah. All right, in the last two minutes, tell me some of, some, some of the facts. How many people in the company now? How much money you raised? Mm-hmm. Number of customers? Just give me some of the, 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 the financial sure. and the admin details. Sure. Quick, all right. Quick. So we're Quick. a little, uh, we're a little, we're almost 30 employees. Yep. Um, over the last four years, we've raised eight million dollars because yep. we've had revenue from day one. Um, and you know, we're really navigating the, uh, the, the what's beneficial for us and what's beneficial for uh, the potential growth and, of the and company. And how many so, lives, or how you count it? How many people are on the? About the, 150 companies, and those range from anywhere from you know 20 people to a couple ten thousand. Okay, so you've got a decent little system. Yeah. And uh, last time left, what else? Twenty seconds. So you give me the you give me the number of how many companies there'll be in uh, in five years. Oh, a, a lot. All right. Okay. <laughs> Go. I mean, it's not a lot. I've been talking with Jay Parkinson, the founder and the chief medical officer of Sherpa. Are we done? Awesome. All right. Thanks, man. Yeah. How you doing? Oh, yeah, I'm doing okay. <laughs> I'm actually, if I get out of, if I could ever escape the lunacy that, that is my current life with this <laughs> bullshit technology, ridiculous conference innovation program, and, I mean, the problem is Indy keeps on inventing new shit, and someone has to stay around to run it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I think what you're doing, uh-huh. and what I was doing, especially with uh, Cross Haven, yeah. a bunch of unlike the single session group. The like the multifaceted. Basically, if you have, you had disorganized, like Taylor Pete said, it's made some video of big medical and epic medical centers, which we all know what they were doing forever, right? Yeah. And then you said, oh, we're going to have the ACA, so they're all the big epic centers and also systems like flying and doctor and place and that mess. And everyone forgot what, how do you get patients to the system. And the horror stories there are so great. This whole patient advocacy, concierge, people, people are so. People understand now what the problem has got. And I think, I don't know whether it's, you know, clinical coaching to incentive, whether it's, you know, someone like your system, which is a, an asynchronous but guiding yeah. I don't want the answer, the final answer, maybe for retail There is okay. no good answer for everybody. Well, that's not you know. Say, yeah, I mean, but, it's, everybody's but, unique, right? The volume, you know, right now the volume of interest is very low. But the more yeah. you grow, think about it, you know, and you're not encumbered by having to feed the beast, right? That's the medical which is a tremendous 10-year bond to pay for our second life kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you can, and you can use these technologies. And so to me, that's the, that's the next thing that would interest in transition, that that stuff grow, and at some point, does it hollow out? Yeah. But they go through the city, and you see, like, something go under, go run into the government, so, well, yeah. it, it, so that's the interesting world. Yeah. yeah. Well, those places that, that are taking on risk, they need to make sure that everything they do is appropriate, you know? And that's, that's, that's what I want to be, is essentially the sort of funnel service layer, you know, as best as we possibly can. Okay. There we'll see what happens. That's all we do right now. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's really... So you're like some of the grand routes, you're at BNPM and they save money and it's before you can be you probably yeah. save the money or that uh, it's just doing something. So for self insured companies I bet you save the money without doing anything. For self insured companies that we've gotten seventy, eighty percent of of the employees using our services regularly, about fifty percent of claims go away. We don't bill the insurance companies we treat and manage the cases. And you're doing 
Yeah, but no, but I'm I'm prepared. What do you do? What do we do? Yeah, I, no, I'm prepared um, to pay. Yeah. Without knowing anything about it. Just by forgetting the, you know, instead of going to, uh, instead of going to, to, to their, their primary care doc and billing for the $42 or whatever it is, yeah. and the insurance company knocks another 26 and the, and the, the employer pays that. I think, I bet you that you get rid of also a bunch of ER visits, a bunch really? of hospitalization stuff that they're, they're not really thinking about. My problem is, how do you prove that? I can I mean, show you how to prove that. How do you prove that? It's, I, I, it's, it's, well, you know. Absolutely. If you're, if you're, if you're changing the utilization, I so we hire doctors and then we contract with companies and then market to their employees to reach out to our doctors first before you go into the healthcare system. Okay. We take a history. We, if we're comfortable with the diagnosis, uh, just via history, we'll diagnose, treat, and manage over time. If not, we'll send you to get tests. No, no, it's all, it's all, it's all virtual, and it's all asynchronous. It's not video. It's asynchronous. So I need to talk to you too. You know Brian Clapper? Really, his name? Yeah, yeah. Brian's good friend of mine. He started a company called Dropping. Thank you. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.